Hello everyone, this is Caleb, your GM. A quick word before our show today. Today's episode will include a segment that is a departure from how the episodes have normally went. Those of you in particular who have listened to season one, I think will really enjoy it. We're wrapping up the season soon, there's only three episodes left. We do a community-sourced Q&A after the finale, so start thinking of questions for us. I'll let you know how to send them in when we draw closer to the final episode. Last time on Trailblazers, the party helped Alarak take control of Comet from Mojo Ryzen. With the promise that Comet would leave the party alone and focus on getting revenge on Baphomet for betraying them. The party then turned their attention to a message from Veeam that gave them a mission to extract someone from a black site. The party agreed and broke into the site only to find Hope hooked up to a machine. What is this machine doing to her? What will the party do with her now that they know it's Hope? And what is Veeam's interest in all this? Find out this week on Trailblazers! Hope looks very different from before. She has short cut hair now. Her long hair has been cut short and shaved in the back where these, these plugs just plugged like directly into her skull. In the middle of this room is this giant sort of sphere sort of thing with wires and things coming out of it. The wires coming out of Hope's head stretch up into the ceiling and then threw some stuff back down to this this big orb there's a circular table with no sort of center because there's this orb in the center there's a bunch of chairs down she's the only one occupying one of the chairs and the, these plugs in the back of her head do not look like they're designed with uh, the user's comfort in mind and there's this visor strapped to her eyes with a huge tube of wires almost larger than what's coming in the back of her head going straight into this orb and there's these black marks stretching out from underneath their visor and her face is hot. And there's these monitors all around the room displaying all sorts of different information. The only thing that really seems that you can tell from a distance is maps and such. You, as you're kind of examining her, you hear from behind you, greetings, and you turn around and you see some, a sort of translucent, bluish, green, sort of teal person. This is something you've seen once in a while. It's, it's, it's either like an advertisement or something like that. And this figure says to you, I am Cheshire, an artificial intelligence outfitted to be the user interface of this facility. I am limited to a specific set of commands and responses, and more like to a graphical user interface than an artificial intelligence. It is my design to facilitate operation of the parser and this facility. How may I help you? Um, status of White Rabbit. The White Rabbit's vitals are within acceptable parameters. Uh, how many users are at the facility right now? There are currently four living organisms in this facility. Uh, what's the status of the uh, alarm? The alarm has not been activated. Okay, that's good, that's good. Um, what percent done is White Rabbit, Project White Rabbit? Interfacing with Parser, stand by. Parser indicates it will complete data extraction in approximately 67 hours. However, subject expiration will occur in 12. The parser increases brain activity, causing the brain to produce excessive heat. The faster the parser works, the higher temperature the brain is raised to. The parser has been set to maximum, and safety measures have been bypassed. Expected information yield, 79%. Minimum yield set to 50%. How long has uh, White Rabbit been? Do, you, do we have like a dossier on White Rabbit? Project Alice's goal consists of three parts. Part 1 is to extract all details about the distant dragon from the Rook. This has been put on hold. Part 2 consists of extracting all details about the distant dragon from the White Rabbit. This is currently in process. 
Part 3 consists of mapping the ocean floor and cross-referencing it with details extracted from Parts 1 and 2. And you see uh, the screen sort of around you light up and you can see an image of what looks like a map that you haven't seen before mapped uh, and then the image is very obviously the map of the ocean floor and then they intersect and they overlap almost perfectly and you see labels of, of just different you're not sure what they are they're just different names phase two is to create a plan of action with the intel gained from phase one show us all the data on the distant dragon we have so far that information is still being parsed i can display it when the parser is finished where's the data going the data is being stored locally and will be archived after it is organized by the parser. Who is the last user to log in? The last user to log in was Solzhenitsyn. So he must have been overseeing this. Without him here to adjust the parsing, I guess he had no backup. I wonder if there's a way to safely remove her. Or less safely. What do you mean? Uh, did you forget that she let all her friends die? Yeah, but, I mean, was she betrayed? Why is she here? She doesn't look happy. Who admitted the White Rabbit? I'm sorry, I do not have access to that information. When's the last time Baron Samiti logged in? I am unfamiliar with the call sign Baron Samiti. Guy Montag. I am unfamiliar with the call sign Guy Montag. What, what Maybe was he's got a code name. Which one would he be? <laughs> Huge douchebag. Oh, now I know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, Veeam. I am unfamiliar with the call sign Veeam. Didn't he have another name? I know there's another name I'm missing in here. Baron had like eight names. As you're doing this, like, Kentaro is staring at the maps. Guys, you... What? Look at this. Yeah, it's the ocean floor. Yeah, and then look at this. And he points to the map from the White Rabbit. And it has names, uh, Tanlu, Korhal, Winterhaven, all these different things. And it's, you know, drawings of cities and things. Okay. What about it? Look, and he points to where it overlaps perfectly. What's that supposed to be a map of with all the names on it? I think that's a map of where Hope's from. The home world? Yes. Guys, we never left home. We're in the future? It's underneath us. It's it's under the water. How in the world has, could we not have known about this? How could anyone keep the secret? I mean, is there anything actually down there? How, or is it just all flat? I look at the ocean floor map. It shows ruins. Of course, a lot of in-between is what you would expect uh, erosion to do over time, but it's not completely flat. It's just like smaller versions of where mountains should be in Hope's picture. It's just smaller versions. And some of the cities are still like the ruins of them where they should be in Hope's picture. Hope's map, I should say. I don't, I don't understand. Can the White Rabbit be removed from the parser before it's complete? The White Rabbit cannot be disconnected before the parser has completed data extraction. Premature extraction will result in expiration of the subject. That is against protocol. Would you like me to walk you through manual disconnection? Would that kill her? No, it would not. Y you said that the, the parsers are overheating. Can we adjust the parameters of that? The parser's parameters can only be changed with someone with top clearance. Will this do? And I hold up, um... Solzhenitsyn's card. I'm sorry, but that is only secondary clearance. What users have clearance to adjust the parser? The only current registered user that has top clearance is the chairman. When's the last time the chairman logged into this facility? The chairman has only logged in once in this facility. What date? It gives a date that indicates uh, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Can we bring up security footage from date? From, from date. From date. <laughs> it shows two people sitting down. They exchange a rose. They eat a dinner together. Have a pleasant evening. <laughs> Here is footage from Date. That was private. You should never have seen that. <laughs> it's the glowing avatar and another glowing avatar. Yes, uh, it shows somebody walking in who reminds you very much of the way people dressed in Comet. 
the sort of, at least, uh, not not the people, I should say, the people who were close to Alarak, the people who wore the wide-brimmed black hats, the black peacoats. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the camera's from the top, so the hat obscures the face. But the dress is unmistakable. It's maybe a little bit different, but it's it's very similar. Can I make, like, a perception check to look at, like, the their stance, their height, um, the way they walk, compare that to Kalkatan? Because he was pretty old, so I'd imagine he'd have a somewhat recognizable, you know, way of walking. Sure, yeah, make a, make a perception check. I'll take a... 10 for since he is an elf of 39. It, granted, the, the person I'm looking at is an elf uh, or a human. I would get a 39. Okay. And if it wasn't? Uh, I would get, if it's a construct, <laughs> I would- it's a half elf? Do you have half elf as well? Yeah, elves and half elves are both elf subtype. Okay. Thir- 35 without that, 37 if they're a construct. Okay, I'll let you know. <laughs> With 37, it is, it is entirely possible that it could be Katan. You can certainly can't rule him out. He, he has to be in the running. He's not like, oh, that guy's two feet shorter than Kyle Katon. This is... Let's see at a growth spurt. What what date was the white rabbit brought into the facility? It, it indicates the same date. I'm going to look for video footage of Hope being brought in. It's actually, it's like the same footage. Can you re-describe that thing? Because I don't remember. She is dragged in what appears to be unconscious as her feet drag against the floor. She's put in the chair. And it looks like her head has been already been pre-operated on. The ports are there and she's plugged in. Solzhenitsyn's there, and he enters things. This person in the black coat enters things as well, and the machine turns on. Who is dragging her? It looked just like two people. Black business suits, nondescript. How would we remove her? Can you walk us through that? I certainly can. The subject may disconnect herself at any time. However, the subject is unaware of what is happening to them, and is stuck reliving their memories as the parser analyzes them. By manually interfacing with the subject, you can communicate with her and tell her to disconnect herself. Your consciousness must sync up to where her ego currently is. You will experience several jumps in memory as a parser brings you to her current ego. How do I hook up? This figure walks over and gestures to another seat, where you see what looks sort of like a halo. You're going in? I mean, yeah. Don't be too nice to her. We gotta get some answers. Right now she can't give us anything. I don't know, I look up at the map, she's given us a lot. Don't talk like that, Kentaro says. Don't talk like one of them, like what they're doing here is fine. Nurse said that. I walk over to the chair. You guys sit down and you put these halos on? Uh, yes. Are you going to keep watch over us, Kentaro? He like, sits down with it, about to put a halo on and goes, Uh, yeah, of course, that's what I was going to do. Hey, I look at the uh, avatar thing. Can we lock down the facility? Can we lock the doors? You hear what sounds like the heaviest bolt and bolts turn you've ever heard in your life, like a vault door. You hear, facility secured. Uh, hey, there is a... We can get ourselves out of this at any time. That is correct. Okay. You are in a temporary connection. It is not as dangerous as a permanent one. Your memories will not be analyzed. You will be taking part in the subject's memories. Well, I guess we could do this, huh? Threat of your expiration is well below 1%. Hey, that's lower than normal. <laughs> Kentaro pulls out his vortex gun. Well, I got your guys' back. I'll let you know if anyone comes in. Yeah, if we need to pull out, I don't know, slap us, pour water on us. Okay, good luck. All right, you guys connect? Mm-hmm. As you put these halos on, they don't really, like, go over your eyes. They hover above your head like a halo would. Your eyes sort of almost stop functioning or something as it's sort of like overexposure on a camera. Everything gets whiter and whiter and whiter until there's absolute whiteness. Then you hear screaming. It's a scream from a man you've never heard scream before. And it was bitter. And it was long. 
You find yourself in a stone hallway of good make. You're low to the ground, and men taller than you run past, down the hallway, and into a large room. You walk slowly forward. Everyone you see go into that room stops, dead in their tracks, and stares at something out of sight. You finally get to the room. You go through the large wooden door and turn to see what everyone else already sees. Before you lies a man fallen to his knees with a dead woman draped across his arms. He cries bitterly a disgusting, ugly cry. A line of mucus stretches from his lips to his nose, spit on the corner of his mouth, his face underneath his eyes red sore. He sobs openly, almost roaring with sadness. The woman he holds was once a beautiful catfolk, but now is as lifeless as the clothes draped around her. A thin, steady line of deep red spills out of her back and pull around the legs of the man. A tall man with dark skin wearing a beret notices you and rushes to you. He leads you away by the arm. You look up to him and say, Duran, what's wrong with mom? The man leads you out of the room saying only this, You shouldn't have had to see that. I'm so sorry, Hope. Duran, what's wrong with mom? He stops and looks at you, his face emotionless except for a spark of grief. He doesn't know what to say. Then the entire scene freezes. And you two are no longer viewing from Hope's point of view, but now you are yourselves. You sort of look like Cheshire looked. And next to you is Cheshire. And he says, the parser will be moving on to the next memory soon. Until then, you can interact with anyone to hear what Hope has to say about them. The scene's completely frozen. You can walk around. How many people are in this memory? In the large room, it's sort of... And, and you figure this must be the result of you being sort of in a memory and not in a real place. The people close to where Hope was, where she saw this scene, are like distinguishable. You can see five, six, ten, twelve people. As it go on, there are more people, but they sort of turn fuzzy and fade into an indistinctness. So when he says we can interact with people, it means we can go up and press A. Yeah, press X to pay respects. <laughs> it's F. It's F, Caleb. I guess we'll start with the person closest to us. Duran, I think his name was. This is a tall... Dark-skinned man, but he, he just looks abnormally stone-faced, as it were. You can hear Hope's voice sort of say, and almost sort of like echoes as it's coming from all around you. Duran was always kind to me. He was my dad's assistant, I guess. Always took care of more things than an assistant should. I always looked up to him. I guess I wouldn't know what to do in his situation either. No, I walk over to her parents. The sort of entire room gets red and shakes. You feel like something's trying to communicate, but... You're only getting grief. Eventually, hope breaks through and the red stops and the shaking stops. I wish I could remember her better. All I know is what everyone tells me. And they line up with what I can remember. She's the sort of person that could do no wrong and never wanted to. I wish this wasn't my earliest memory of her. Can we see Hope? Uh, You see a little girl who you were originally looking through the eyes of. She looks less than 10. Can I get her thoughts on herself? I was so young. I I wonder how much of me is messed up because of this. Maybe I should have went to a therapist or something. I look at her father. It looks even more off-putting now that it's frozen, this this cry, this open weep. This was the dumbest thing anyone ever did. You could feel sympathy for him now. It's funny to think there was a time I could feel sympathy for him. 
the um, scene begins to glow white as your entire vision grows white again. The parser moves on to the next memory. You're in the same room as before, but now you have time to notice how gargantuan it is. This room stretches high up and leads to these gigantic windows, windows sized for dragons, pillars taller than some buildings. This, this is the throne room. At the head of the room is the throne and sitting upon it is Valerian in a dress garb, no longer his face stained with tears and but still stained with grief. Pews have been set up, and there's a carpet that leads from the entrance down the middle of the room to in front of the throne where lies a casket, surrounded, almost overwhelmed by flowers. Everyone is in mourning clothes, black, little color to be seen except for the, the stark difference the flowers give. People come down the center and they drop flowers onto the casket, but Valerian doesn't notice he just looks past them, almost as if he's staring at some point in the distance. The people, after they give their flowers and wait the requisite time, staring at the piece of wood, they look up and say, I'm sorry for your loss to the Emperor, as he gives them no response, as if he was a mannequin. So this goes on for a small amount of time. The large double doors that act as the entrance to the room suddenly open, and standing, dwarfed by the gigantic entrance, is a man in black form-fitting garb. It's well-tailored, intricate, and designed to be worn at such an occasion. However, it looks as if it could facilitate the man if he decided to fight at any moment. Most of his skin is covered, except his hands and face. The yellow undertones in his skin are especially brought out by the tan lines around his eyes. You would venture to guess that this man does not often have his face exposed, except for his eyes, which are different than everyone else's in the room. They're wider. The Emperor is taken out of his stupor and looks up at the man, fixating on him. As the man walks his way to the coffin, everyone else makes way for him. When he arrives, he looks down at the closed casket and places a hand on it. Through heavy breath, the man mutters things that no one but the person in the coffin could possibly hear. He then turns behind him to take a rose someone offers. He places it on the coffin and hovers a hand over it. If he were a cleric, he could be accused of blessing it. Then he turns his gaze to the Emperor, who hasn't stopped looking at the man, and says, I'm sorry for your loss. I know you are, Hanzo. Please, come up here. The Emperor embraces him, and then holds him by the shoulders, and says into his eyes, We're the last ones, you and I. Everyone else is gone. She was the best of us. And Hanzo looks back and says, I know. Here, sit beside me, brother. He calls him brother, but they are very obviously not of the same parents. And as they sit and people continue to file down and pay their respects, he talks to Hanzo. I've told you to do a lot of things. This isn't an order. I'm asking you a favor. Find the woman that did this to her, that did this to us. Find her and bring her to me. Hanzo, this one isn't business. This one's personal. Hanzo silently nods, waits a moment, gets up, straightens his clothes, walks down the aisle, and leaves. And the scene freezes. Um, where is Hope in this? Like, where were we viewing from? So you're viewing from Valerian's left side. You're sitting in a chair next to him. Is uh, Hanzo still in view? Yes, he's, he's just at the exit, or at the entrance. Pay respects. Uh, F. <laughs> Hanzo was like an uncle to me. He's one of the few people who got to call my dad Guy. 
maybe the only one left now. Guy was a, the alias he used when he was trying to overthrow the previous emperor, his father. Now it was a term of endearment for those that were close to him. But like he said, there's not many of them left now. There's Tanzo. The room turns white and the parser moves on to the next memory. You're back in that room. It has been reset to what must be its default. The throne is there, but uh, the pews are gone. And in this room that you guess is often occupied, given its size, is no one but Valerian, Hanzo, and someone playing the guitar, a minstrel. Hanzo is in a similar garb as he was before, but now his face is obscured by his eyes. He is in the garb of a ninja. And Valerian says to him, what do you mean you failed? She's well protected. Since when has that ever mattered to you? It will take more time. I can't be as liberal as I want with my sword. It's hard to tell civilian from combat in that land. Civilian? Who cares about civilians? I do, guy. You know what they've done to me. What they've taken from us. You know I expected better from you of all people, Hanzo. You of all people can feel the sting of their actions. The action of a few doesn't condemn a whole nation. Like hell it doesn't! I want her dead! I want her people dead! I want her nation burned to the ground! I want to go tonight and piss on its ashes! And as he says that, that disgusting look in his face returns. And Hans is taken aback. Grief has turned you, guy. I will not do this. I will not kill an entire people in the name of my friend who abhorred violence of all kinds. I cannot do this in her name and I will no longer do things in yours. And Hanzo turns around and goes to leave. And Valerian calls after him, Hanzo, where are you going? Hanzo! Hanzo, turn around now! Hanzo! And Hanzo ignores him and walks straight out. Hope just standing by his side, or...? Hope is peeking from a room that is off to the side. It obviously leads off to the rest of the palace, though it's not the main entrance. It's a side door, and she's just peeking through it very much as if she shouldn't be, but she wanted to see what was going on. I am curious of her thoughts on her father right now, so I do walk over. This was maybe the first moment I became disillusioned with my father. Every every little girl has that moment eventually, I suppose. But to see him break with his best friend over this, there was... Even at that age, I knew this meant something. Maybe it was because, even though I was so young, just the manner of my birth made me different. I, I matured faster. I was smarter than any eight-year-old should be. I guess the world knew I would need to be mature for what was going to happen to me next. The room grows white. You're taken to the next memory. There is a great ruckus outside. People are singing in a foreign tongue. Instruments you're not used to are being played in the hundreds. And a scream is heard from outside the window down below. Valerian! The emperor rushes to the window. You follow behind him, the emperor not noticing. You're taller, older. You gaze out to see laid before you, filling the streets, many men in imperial uniforms. This is sort of reminiscent of Roman clothing. And littered about them are these terrible-looking horned men. They're large, undead abominations. Their heads that of bull skulls, yet they play bagpipes, instruments made for those with breath. And at the front is Hanzo and full war regalia. He screams up to Valerian, towering several floors above him in his palace. Valerian, I've come to stop you from hurting anyone else. Valerian shouts down to him in response. Hanzo, what is this? Why have you come here? Look with your eyes, guy. I'm not the only one down here. Your old men recognize you're out of control. This doesn't have to go down like this. 
Surrender and I will help you. But I will not stand by. I will not let you do this to yourself any longer. Please, brother, do not make this any worse than it has to be. I see. And who would lead in my stead? You? What will your little army do after your victory? Surely I don't think they'll just pack up and go home. You never were the brains, Hanzo. You should have stuck to the brawn. Do not mistake my love for weakness. I will do what must be done, but only if it must. Please do not do this. Give up. If you do not come off the throne willingly, your head will roll off of it. It's treason, then. Bring your men and your monsters. Face me if you can. And Valerian walks away from the window. And there's the sound of shouting and of battle from below. Valerian gives orders to the clockwork and men around him. And you see these clockwork, these, these praetorian guard are monstrous. They sort of remind you of the dark troopers, but far less human, far less organic. There are machines, they have machinations, you can hear the turning of their gears, and there are a variety of them. Some that wield pikes, some that seem to wield wands, and others that are gargantuan. And one perched in the window that looks like a dragon. As Valerian gives his orders, he says, He's very skilled in his many talents that give him the element of surprise. Be prepared to see the invisible. The palace guards will weaken them, but make no mistake, the most dangerous part of the battle happens here. Defend your lives with lethal force. Do not go easy just because the face that comes at you is that of a friend. He will be going for your head and your heart. So should you. And as everyone sort of gets in position to prepare to fight, there is this sort of awkward wait. Sure, there's the setting up. Hellhounds are summoned by Valerian and clock machines get ready and people bolster themselves. But then there's just a moment of sitting and waiting as you hear the battle get closer and closer, come up the floors of the palace. And eventually, the doors fly open. Hanzo at the helm. Valerian looks at him and says, Hello, brother. And at this point, there is a huge battle. And this becomes sort of a, a devastating moment. You're, you're not even here. Where, where is hope? You're not sure. You're viewing this sort of as a, a bird's eye view. And this battle is fairly terrible. It's gory. And you guys are, are no stranger to, to gore. But I think you it might be something different to see it in a, a full-scale battle like this. Not with gangsters, but with men prepared for war. It's something different. And it's very brutal. And it eventually culminates as the battle's happening around them with Hanzo and Valerian fighting one-on-one. Occasionally something coming in, the dogs helping, but it often goes back to just them two, only periodically separated by the rest of the battle. And as this battle goes on, you see it tires both of them. Hanzo is less and less using what seem to be special powers, where he will take a shuriken, throw it, and it will explode instead of just landing sharply or his sword will douse in flames, but more and more this doesn't happen. He would vanish and reappear, but less and less he does this, as if he is exhausting himself and his abilities. And then there is a point where the lethal blow comes down on Valerian, but Valerian deftly and barely catches the wrist that wields the sword. And there is a beat, just a moment, where he looks at Hanzo and Hanzo looks at him before you hear the snapping sound of a wrist being broken and the cry of the pain that follows. Hanzo falters back and his sword seems unbalanced as he brings it into his offhand. Hanzo looks around to see the amount of men he came with growing smaller and smaller. He stares at Valerian unblinkingly, Valerian seeming pleased with this blow. 
And then Hanzo grows transparent and sinks through the floor. Valerian surges forward with the anger of realization and brings his flail down a moment after Hanzo disappears through the floor. In anger, Valerian shouts, Find him! He can go through walls, but not for long. He's exhausted himself during the fight. He can do little more than run now. Go, search for him. Hanzo, you can run, but you only die tired. Then the moment freezes. We still have like a bird's eye view, right? Yes. Well, at the end of every member, you sort of come back as icons. But Hope isn't here? No, she's not. Hmm. This guy's worse than Baron, I think. Who? I point to Valerian. Uh, that is Baron. Version of Baron. Why do you think they're different? He said he was different. Do you think they're the same? There are different points in their lives, different things happen, but they're the same person. You think the Baron we met is any less capable of this? No, I think he's capable. I just don't know if he's gotten to that point yet. Well, he's getting there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to interact with Valerian to see if Hope even like says something, like, if she's a present in this memory at all. You hear Hope say, I didn't actually see this. Hanzo told me what happened. He said this should have been the most brutal fight of his life, but unfortunately the rest of his life, fate had... More things planned for him that would make this seem like it was a walk in the park. Still, brother against brother. I'd like to say I couldn't imagine what that's like, but I can. Though if Parser moves on, things grow white and then a new scene resurfaces. You get a bird's eye view of Hanzo in a hallway as he rushes through it. He's pushing past his allies, going the opposite direction they are. Stopping to hide in a closet in dark space when he comes across enemies and continuing to rush down the long hallway when he can. And when he gets to a certain point, he hears the sound of clockwork at the other end, turns around to see the last of his allies in sight get run through. He seems hopeless. And then a door next to him opens, and Hope gets his attention. Hanzo hesitates, but Hope says, quickly come through. And he does, with no other options left. Go into my closet, you'll be safe there. Hide and rest. Hanzo looks untrustingly, but with no other options, does it. In comes two mighty-looking clockwork, the same sort of clockwork you've seen that look different than others, the ones that Valerian had with his own Praetorian Guard, as it were, and along with them comes Duran. There is muffled talking as they talk to one another, and the clockwork stay, but Duran leaves. Hope gives some sort of order to the clockwork, which then face the outer door with their backs to her, and she goes into the closet with Hanzo. She gets in, she closes the door behind her and looks at Hanzo and this surrogate uncle. I can't believe it's come to this. What's happening, Hanzo? Hanzo, panting heavily, looks at her and says, Your father is lost. He's gone mad with grief and there's no satiating it. He will hurt until he ceases to hurt and he will never stop hurting. I was just trying to help. And surprisingly for someone of her age, she says, I know, you're right. I've seen it. Stay here. Rest. Get your powers back. Then come nightfall, take me with you. I can't be here anymore. I can't stay with a man who I who is so quick to kill his closest friend who is only trying to help him. Hope, I can't. What, are you going to leave me here with him? He has me practically imprisoned in my room. Those machines, my jailers. He tried so hard not to lose me in the process that he lost me. Like trying to keep sand in your fist, the tighter your grasp, the more it seeps through the cracks. He truly has gone mad. Hanzo nods, his head in silence, and the scene freezes. You said that she's young. How? What's her age right now? You'd guess about 10. So this is, hasn't been too long after everything? No, it looks like just it's been five or less years. Thoughts on herself. 
choosing to leave is uh, something no one should be forced to choose, but that's what it was. It was a force. What was I going to do? Stay here. Even if he wasn't a normal father, it's not like he spent any more time with me anymore. I bet it'd be hard for anyone to imagine what it's like to live with a man like him. I don't have to imagine it. At nightbreak, we left. With his abilities and my help, we were able to leave. The last we heard from my father was his maddening screams of frustration as he ripped the palace apart, looking for us. And the scene changes again. You're underground. It's claustrophobic. It looks like some sort of temporary base, if you could even call it that. Lined down this infinite tube are bedrolls and soldiers and pond soldiers sleeping, cramped up, packed like sardines. And there's sounds coming muffled through the dirt above. Sounds of war, sounds of the heavy footsteps of clockwork, sounds of guns, sounds of spells, sounds of the roaring of dragons, of the unbearable noise of the clockwork just having their gears turn. Most everyone's asleep. Some man she doesn't know cuddles up to her. She gives him a passing glance and ignores it as if this has happened a thousand times. And indeed, looking around, you see people in all sorts of positions who have rustled, clung, and tossed in their sleep. And then all of a sudden, water starts to seep from above. Hope sighs in frustration, pushes the guy off of her enough to pull the bedroll over her to do what little shielding it can to block the water. A centaur-like ant creature passes by and cheers up part of the tunnel. The guy on the other side of her spooks her by suddenly saying, Hope these things are as good at building tunnels as the Prefectus seems to believe. Hope looks at him and says, They'll hold. I've been in their tunnels countless times. They usually don't make the same mistake twice. Hope is now older. She looks as if she could be in her early 20s. And the man says to her, twice? Word is they set up an ambush tunnel to come up behind the enemy right after they passed. Surrounded them, you know? Fortunately, it rained that night and the weight of the clockwork collapsed the tunnels on them. Poor men didn't even know what happened. After that, they started building their tunnels a bit deeper. And the guy looks shaken, visibly. And Hope laughs to herself and puts a steady hand on the guy's shoulder. Catch some sleep. I hear they're marching us all day tomorrow. And the scene freezes. When we met Hope, or around the time we met her, we asked her age, and she said she was 19, correct? I think she said she was 20. So there's this person she was talking to, she's in this tunnel. You said there- I'm sorry, did you say an ant centaur? It looks like a centaur-like ant creature. Okay. How big's this tunnel? Tall enough for a man to stand up and not worry about hitting his head, but not much taller than that. A, a point or two, it may be wider, where there's some tables set up for a temporary sort of command post. The person that she was talking to, did it seem like she knew him, or was it just like a passing conversation with a stranger? Passing conversation with a stranger. I'll get her thoughts on herself. Truth was, even though I knew what I said was true, I was still about as worried as he was. Formians always made me nervous. But they're good fighters, numerous and strong. You could hear the Prefectus and the Legatus talking to their queen through them. They had some sort of hive mind that let them do that. It was one of the best ways we had of communicating over long distances. Without it, the Resistance might have died long ago. Hey, Vic, what happened to the, uh, what was it, the witch lady that killed Mana? Is she part of this war? Um, oh, I gotta remember. I don't know if she was part of this war or not. I imagine that she'd take advantage of it if she really wanted to hurt him. But I thought, I thought I, I remember the Formians working for her. Oh. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. It's a lot to remember. Scene grows white and you move on to the next memory. As the scene comes back in, you're lying on the ground. You'd pick yourself up and, oh, you're exhausted. And you look around and there is, almost as far as the eye can see, bodies. 
You're in the aftermath of a battle. You look not too much older. And as you look around, a few others pick themselves up. It's daybreak. It looks like you were lying there all night. Just a few sort of get their selves together. Hope stands up. Ah, pain in her side. She pulls something out of it. She's exhausted. And a man goes over to a fallen soldier who has purple cloth adorned his uniform. Hope is now in a uniform that is similar to everyone else in the battle. Or at least to everyone else of the same sort of class. There is other people there who look kind of like Hanzo did in, in ninja garb. And of course there is the clockwork which have no uniform. This man who picks up the purple cloth, looks at this helmet, brings it over to Hope and hands it to her and says... Orders, Decanus. Hope kind of breathes deep, takes a helmet, looks at it, thinks for a little bit, scratches her head. Well, this manipole was supposed to meet up with the rest of the cohort after our victory here. I guess we follow orders. And the guy who handed her the helmet says, yeah, victory. Well, they're not going to be getting the backup they expected. It's going to be a long walk. And everyone sort of starts to gather together, maybe six men alive, and walk away from the scene, and it freezes. I'll get a, get the thoughts of uh, Hope on herself. Oh, that was a tough battle. Those guys that were left alive, they were in my contaburnium. It's a group of eight men that the entire army can be boiled down to. We've been through a lot, and it's no surprise to me that if anyone was left alive after this mess, it was them. We lost some of our men, and one of the guys that was left alive wasn't ours, but uh, somewhere along the way, I managed to earn their respect. I'm not sure how. We were smart, though, and that kept us alive. Even managed to get ourselves our own name. People called us the Myrmidons. The scene grows white. You're walking through the woods. This seems to be directly after, who knows, maybe a day, not no more longer than a couple. And it's sort of a dense woods. And as you're walking, tired, marching for days, one of the soldiers, the one who's obviously wasn't a part of the Contiburnium, uh, walks up to Hope and says, can I ask you a question, Decanus? She looks at him and says, Go ahead. I know I'm new here, but why do they call you a Decanus? I mean, that's Cornelius, and that's Kimball. Why are you called by your rank? I mean, I know that's normal, but these guys have been with you for years, right? Why aren't you called by your last name like the rest of us? Because, Judah, it's Mengsk. And I guess everyone just thought it better to stick to calling me by my rank, like it's protocol, instead of throwing out our arch enemy's name around. Best not to stir up the hornets in your own home. Oh, do they know? Everyone fecking knows. Look at me, I kind of stick out. And you see her ears and tail. Sure, on good days, I can hide the ears, shove my tail down my pants, but in battle, fashion kind of falls to the wayside. The Legatus knows who I am and why I'm here. That's enough to keep most people in line. And then, it's sort of hard to describe the feeling of something gigantic passing over you. You first notice it when it blocks the sun, but then you can sort of feel its wake as a dragon, a clockwork dragon passes. It's not silent per se, you can hear the rush, but it's not the loud sounds, the machinations that you've heard from the rest of the clockwork and especially the dragons, which are unusually loud. And Hope says, piss. There was a quiet dragon and the guy who was just talking to her goes, what does it matter if it was quiet or loud? <sighs> and everyone else seems to know what's going on. The loud ones are for fighting, the quiet ones for scouting. If it's loud, we know it was attached to a larger army and we could outpace it if we slept sparingly or hide and let it pass us by. But the silent ones are their scouts and part of their mobile forces. Cornelius, 
and one of the men send, uh, whistles, and a hawk lands on his arm. He talks to it and sends it back up. And everyone stopped marching, and Hope kind of looks around, ponders, and says, We're in a forest, so it's one of two likely scenarios. Either it's a normal hit-and-run crew, meeting up with a larger group, which wouldn't be too bad. Just soldiers and servants, maybe a major two. We could probably wait them out, let them pass us, or they might even be going another direction. Or it's a bark burner, in which case we're screwed. The hawk returns, and Cornelius talks to it, then turns to Hope. She spotted Firebat's deckiness. Crying out loud. And the, the new guy goes, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? Ever since before the Great War, back when it was just the war with the North, the Empire knew the trees could be working for their enemies. Now, they have an entire detachment of soldiers whose only job is to burn down every forest they come across preemptively. Which means they're definitely coming here, and we definitely can't just wait them out. Do you have a count? And Cornelius responds, Four pods of four men each. Standard set, one fire bat, two soldiers, and one servant each. And of course, the dragon. She mutters under her breath, I fucking hate fire so much. Okay, the good news is the dragon's a mithril one, so its armor isn't as tough, and it won't, be, it won't hit as hard. Yeah, but it'll be faster. You're not helping, Kimball. Hope looks around and thinks, and the new guy goes, You're not actually thinking of fighting these things, are you? Well, it's either fight them or lie down and die. There's no escaping these guys. Now we got maybe what? One hour before they arrive? Cornelius, you come up against these guys more often than me. 50 minutes, tops. Okay, that's 50 minutes for us to plan. <sighs> All right, let's... Let's do this. And they begin to, to, to prepare, and, and they set up some traps. They don't have much time, so they can't set things elaborate. A deadfall, maybe two. A trap or two made of logs, of trees that have already been fallen from being dead, but are still alive enough not to crumble. And Hope begins talking to them, uh, in the, in preparing for what is obviously a battle that they're not going to win, but the, the, the hope of trying, at least. She talks, all right, I'll sit in that tree there. I'll mark our enemies. It'd be best if we take them out one at a time. We focus on them. Won't be able to tell you which one, so I'll shoot a magic missile at the ones we want to target. We'll take them out one by one. We gotta leave the dragon for last. If we spend our whole time on that dragon, the rest of the guys will rinse us. What's our plan for the dragon? Still working on that. And they continue to plan and prepare. And after the 50 minutes goes far too quickly, you can hear it. The sound of thunder, but it's not thunder, it's the thundering of marching of heavy metal. Screaming from the sky, much like a comet, comes four large metal pods. As the pods land face up, four sort of drawbridges extend, and coming out of these tightly packed pods, two clockwork soldiers. A clockwork servant, which is a machine that seems to repair the clockwork with less combative capabilities. And these men, humans, or living creatures, I should say, in these bulky suits that are only wieldable because of the clockwork which helps them move, and these large tanks on their back, and these twin tubes on their arms. They sort of shrug off the landing, point their gauntlets to a tree, and begin to burn. Flame comes out of these twin perdition flamethrowers on their gauntlets fueled by alchemicals. And as this goes, Hope and all of them lying in ambush make eye contact with each other, prepare themselves, and Hope lets go a flurry of magic missiles that hit one of the firebats, as they're called, on their back. The firebat turns to see what happens, and at that point, the ambush is sprung. 
This battle is a short one, but you imagine that being in it must seem like a lifetime, and for some of the men, it was the rest of their lifetime. The battle is turned in some ways by the traps. A soldier falls into a pitfall, a deadfall, and they easily take shots at it in the ground to get rid of it. But as the battle continues to go, every time they try to make progress, it's halted by the dragon making a pass and either breathing its fire or swiping at them, scraping the ground, leaving these huge trenches as it does so. Once in a while, it'll land and it'll scream. And as it roars, Hope screams for everyone to get out of the way. Because unlike normal dragons, which in their nature scream for, I don't know, the reason a man would scream frustration in the middle of an attack and battle, these clockworks, they're not held down by such nature. Their scream is the opening of their mouth as fire comes out. It's not a warning, it's it happening. Hope recognizes this, she's seen it before, and gets people out of the way, saving a life or two. As the battle continues, they make progress, but there is a point in which Hope is running out of spells. Everyone is running out of ammo. It's, it's coming down to the wire, though many have been slayed, but a fire bat reaches Hope and torches the bottom of her tree and rakes it straight up with flame and Hope has to get out of the tree. And as she does, she lands hard. Falling out of a tree from any distance is tough. From her distance was more than tough and it hurt. Maybe she dislocated her shoulder. It wasn't, there's no time to, to learn. She hops up and tries to fight this thing that wants to close ground, get into melee range. She wants to make as much distance as possible to hurl her spells. But the thing closes before she can get too far away from her falling out of the tree, knocks her down, and points the flamethrowers at her face and hopes sees that it's the end. But she has a saving grace. The guy decides to talk. It says to her, Well, look what I caught myself. The Emperor will be pleased with me, knowing I finally took you out. And Hope spits back at him, Oh yeah, I'm sure my dad will be real happy and give great rewards to the man who kills his only daughter. And the Firebat says, Wait, what? And it's all the time she needs as she grabs dirt in a fist, spits at it, and hurls it like a baseball at the guy. And in midair, it transforms into acid, hits through the slots in his face for his eyes and mouth, pours into his suit as he tries to disconnect it and can only ever get the helmet off before he falls to the ground, much of his bone visible before it dissolves with this acid. She screams out, Count! And you hear one of the Myrmidons say, Two soldiers! You hear another one say, One soldier! And then you hear an explosion, you hear, Just one dragon! And now they must face the dragon. And they sort of start saying to each other, trying to plan what to do. They never had a plan to take out a dragon. Who has a plan to take a dragon out? 1v3, 1v4, it's almost impossible. And one of the Mirbadon shouts, plan? And Hope says, we have to, somebody get that son of a gun out of the sky. We can't get him while he's in the sky. And they all kind of look at each other and look at her and say, well, there's only one person here who can hurl lightning. She kind of rolls her head in, in, in anguish. All right, I can bring it down, but then it's up to you to clip one of its wings. She steps out into an opening that has been cleared by fire where there's ash and clear sight obviously to get the dragon's attention who's banking on a turn to come back for another pass and as she wanted it comes straight for her as this happens she holds her hands in front of her as if she's holding an orb but nothing is there and slowly and then altogether quickly electricity and an orb of compressed lightning flickers between her hands, visible only in moments and snaps. 
And then as the dragon gets just close enough that maybe it could burn her, she releases it, it strikes in its open mouth out through its tail, and she dodges as the dragon falls to the ground, making a huge trench as it just slowly comes to a stop. If it were any sort of living dragon, you'd expect it to be stunned, shake its head, and try to get its bearings, but this thing is machine, and it takes it not too long to recover from its clockwork being disrupted as it puts its hands firmly in claws on the ground to pick itself back up. But at that moment, the ground comes to life as one of the Myrmidons summons a great earth elemental that goes up, grabs one of its wings, puts its legs on its body and tries to tear it off, but it's too well attached. So the earth elemental does as its master commands, sticks its fist in the gears and gets fed into the gears, chewed up, but the rock and the stone and the dirt is enough to clog it as the wing doesn't function. The dragon tries to fly with just one, but can't. And now it's just a ground battle. A tough one that involves summoning arrows specialized to go through clockwork metal, electricity surging through weapons designed specifically to fight clockwork. And the new guy gets up. He has a sword. He has to get close enough to strike. But Hope shouts out, back off, you're too close. But... It doesn't get over the sounds of the battle. The clockwork looks at the man, lifts its fist, and brings it down on the new guy, squashing him as blood and viscera goes out in all directions as the claw goes flat against the ground. But these experienced warriors know enough to use any opening, even if it is a tragic one. They end up slaying the creature, focusing almost everything on the back of its neck to sever its head from the rest of the machine. And what takes another five minutes, they slay the dragon and the scene freezes. Hey, Landris? Yeah? Did you ever tuck your tail in your pants? <laughs> what? I-, I did it a few times. Why? Well, you know, I, <laughs> I kept getting it caught in things, and you- I was never very careful with it, kind of clumsy with my tail. And going somewhere with this? She's not. She's not that different from us. She's had a hard life. She's been in battle like us, and run away, been in hiding. Okay. I just want you to keep that in mind whenever we finally get to her. All she had to do was say something. She could have left. She could have done exactly what she did, which is knock on someone's door. Anything to wake us up to warn us. You know it's not always that easy. We saw it. It was that easy. I've made mistakes. I've done stupid things. And you've seen me do stupid things. And you've done some pretty dumb things as well. We all make mistakes. I'm just, just keep that in mind. I'm going to go over to uh, Cornelius. Uh, granted, he's still alive. He's one of three left alive, not counting Hope. Cornelius was a good fighter. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much I liked his hawk at first, but <laughs> very quickly it grew in us, and it's very useful. I suppose that was why it grew on us. I'm very happy he survived here, but I remember on our way back after this battle, we made a joke. I made a joke. I said, uh, as much as I appreciate all of you, I think I would trade literally any single one of you for a cleric about now. They all laughed and said they'd do the same. It was a it was a good release. I did not think we were going to survive this. But I'm glad of the people that survived, Cornelius was one of them. Too bad he wasn't going to live much longer. Clockwork dragon interaction? I hate these things. I hate these things with a passion. Not only because they're gigantic monsters who freaking you can't kill without ten wizards, a lightning storm, and siege weaponry. But these gosh darn things come in so many varieties, you never know what you're going to hit. I think the only reason we won today is because we knew which one this thing was. Some of them can 
transform into giant bombards. There's been whispers of ones that are so quiet and their gear is so designed that they can change their shape to fit in into buildings and, and, and infiltrate. There's ones that decide instead of breathing fire to breathe hot tar that they then set on fire. Was fire not enough? I'll fight 10 clockwork mages. I'll fight a Goliath before I willingly fight these things. I don't know if I'm afraid of anything else more than clockwork dragons. Just hearing their machines whir in the middle of a battle is enough to bring men to their knees. Hey, Vic. Yeah. The the distant dragon. You think it's one of these things on the ocean floor? Yeah, it's possible. In fact, yeah, probably likely. Who wants it and why? Well, from what I've seen, someone to do a lot of no good. A lot of pain. Keep people in line. And you know what? We don't have wizards or clerics or mages. I guess the question is, if it, if it is one of them, what kind? I go over to Hope, get her thoughts on herself. I think we all thought we were going to die that day, to think that we survived. I think this may have been one of the only moments in my life where I thought maybe there was a god that had taken interest in me. It's hard to find another reason we survived today. The scene grows white, and you move on to the next memory. Hope and the three Myrmidons that have survived walk and they come over the crest of a hill and they see before them ah oh, a base tent set up people going back and forth allies friends it was the rest of the cohort that everyone had to meet up with immediately the myrmidons go to uh take of the different benefits of a base healing <laughs> how long had it been since they had taken a shower they all needed healing the standard bandages had almost all fallen off and if they had waited a day longer maybe some of them would have lost an arm but Hope went straight to the command tent. She walks in and she sees a man dressed in purple. Similar colors and armor to the one who you had seen dead in that pile of bodies. She says, Prefectus? And he looks at her and goes, Oh, thank goodness. Finally the fourth. Where have you guys been? And he looks out and doesn't see much and goes, Where's the rest of you? Where's your crew? Well, uh, two of them are over there by the cleric and healed, and the other one is at the showers. That's it? That's all of you? That's all that survived. Hey, good news, though. The battle you sent us to win, we won. His eyes are wide, and you can see he's like uh, a sink, not of, of professional depression, of realizing you have less men to fight the next battle with. Good news is, though, one less bark burner to deal with. And he kind of looks at her and goes, you guys took out a bark burner? Well, yes, the credit goes to a couple more that are not here with us anymore. And the guy kind of runs his hand, he takes off his helmet, runs his hands through his hair, puts his helmet down on the table and says, in a few minutes, the rest of the prefectuses are getting together. I want you in that meeting. Me? Yes. Congratulations on your promotion, Centurion Hope. Whoa, <laughs> I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know what this is about. Well, you are the highest officer left in your maniple, so congratulations on your promotion. Be here in 10 minutes. And he goes to continue doing whatever plans of the many things that he has to do. The time passes and she just sort of waits in the tent and is disheveled, smells badly. Her side of her clothes are stained with blood. Some of her hair soaked in it as well. She sits down in a chair as other men come in. Men who are well-kept, dressed well, untarnished. And they all up setting chairs that are set in a circle sort of pattern. Nothing too fancy. This is a sort of temporary tent set up, a base as it were. And they all begin to talk plans. And the man who 
Hope had been talking to seemed to be some sort of, if not leader of them, at least well-respected enough to take the helm. And he begins to talk plans with them, and he introduces Hope, and he says, Centurions and Prefecti, welcome to our new Centurion, Centurion Hope. And one man kind of scowls and says, Hope, I I don't think she's a Centurion. Last I heard, she was a Decanus. The main guy looks at this Irish talking dude and says, Well, Centurion she is. She recently was promoted. Now, hold on a second. Now, you don't just take somebody that was digging graves and then hand him the keys to the kingdom in two minutes. And the guy explains the situation, which seems to silence the naysayer, if not his attitude, at least his words. He says, enough of this talk. We must talk plans. The next battle will be at Tanlu. We are to bring every legion there. And there is some hubbub about it, but it's also pretty well agreed. Except for Hope who laughs and says, you're going to bring every legion to Tanlu? Why Tanlu? The Prefecta says, well, we have it on good authority that a good portion of the enemy's army has combined and is marching to Tanlu. Maybe they got word of one of our hidden bases there. Maybe they think it's important enough to attack. And Hope goes, do we have a hidden base there? And the Prefectus kind of looks at her and goes, they have word that there may be one there. Oh, please. Why do we have to keep so many secrets from each other? If we kept better secrets, Centurion Hope, then maybe there wouldn't be an army headed to Tanlu right now. Now, the good authority is that they're heading there, so we're going to mount our defensive there. We're going to protect that town. Hope says, this is a civilian town that belongs to the Empire. Why are we protecting them? Why is he attacking them at all? There's something fishy about this. There's something it isn't right. And Prefecta says, Centurion Hope, do keep in mind that you are only a Centurion, and I am only communicating plans from the Legatus. There's no decision that can be made here. This is an informative meeting. Take your cohorts, your maniples, your legions, and you head to Tanlu immediately. Everyone is dismissed. And they sort of almost schmooze for a little bit and end up separating, leaving only Hope and the Prefectus there. And Hope looks at him and goes, there's something else going on here. What is it? And he looks at her and just says, Get your men ready to move, Centurion. You have a lot of men you're not responsible for. Don't waste time with me. And Hope sort of storms out of the tent. And one of the Myrmidons comes to her and says, You okay? No, frickin' our leadership are all idiots, and there's no wonder we're losing this war when they make decisions like this. Like what? We have to get ready to move out. Move out? We just got here. Yeah, well, no rest for the wicked, as it were. There. Marching us to Tanlu. We're going to go defend one of my dad's cities for him. And the Myrmidons give sort of similar protests as she did. And it's interrupted by Hope catching something in the distance. Walking to her is her old friend, Hanzo. And she drops all of the conversation and runs to him and embraces him. And they hug for a moment, sort of a, I wouldn't call it an awkward hug, but you think Hanzo maybe not sort of accustomed to many hugs, but... Hope gives it to him anyway, and he takes it anyway. And she looks at him and goes, Hanzo, you look great. I'm happy you're alive. And he kind of laughs at that and says, I'm happy you're alive too. What What are you doing here? I've come to collect you. To, to collect me? Yes, I've made arrangements. Arrangements? Don't you know what's happening? Where everyone's heading to Tanlu. Arrangements have already been made. Let those Legatuses gather in their masses. But you and I have a different task. I've arranged for us passage with an old friend to get us deep into the heart of the Empire territory, so that we may strike down the Emperor. 
hope. This war is not going to be won. Well, not like decisions like they're making today. We are not here doing this war. You and I are here to do one thing, and it is the only thing that we can do. To fix my mistake, to take down Valerian. Ah, <sighs> Hanzo, I mean, I have been promoted to Centurion. No no need to, to send your congratulations. I've got 80 men I'm responsible for now. They will find someone else to replace you. They have many men who can be a Centurion, but there's only a few people in the world who can do what we must do. Come with me. Surely you have felt the folly of this war. At one point, I hoped that it could prevail, but there is no victory to be had this way. And after some more conversation, hope is turned. She says, well, I've got to at least tell my men. Hurry, we must leave soon. Hope goes back and gathers the three Myrmidons she has left. They're eating now, so happy to get food in their bellies. They even say to her, you need to take a shower. Here, have some eat. And one of them hands them their own meal and she eats a little bit. And she, she explains the situation to them and finishes it with saying, I'm leaving. So I just wanted to say goodbye. I'm sure one of you will get to be Centurion, so congratulations. And they kind of look at each other, and Kimball says what they're all thinking. We are not Unifex. We are Myrmidons. We stand with you. If you go, we go. And it brings a smile to Hope's face. And she looks at them and knows not to argue. She sees the resolution, and she smiles and says, Okay, you've got two minutes. Take what you can take. And meet me over there, by the hill. They do so, and the scene grows white. And you move on to the next memory as the parser moves on. You're at an ocean, you're on a beach, and you're listening to the waves lap up, and it's sort of peaceful. It's a peacefulness that you haven't gotten to take in a while, and it's just Hanzo, Hope, and her Myrmidons, and she is just talking Hanzo, and after not too long, slithering out of the water comes a merfolk. A merfolk, to give you an idea of what they look like, sure, they have the upper bodies of, of men, but sort of a fishy feature here or there, but their their tails are almost serpent-like. It allows them to sort of to glide through the water easily, but a little rough on land, but does allow them to move on land. And this merfolk comes out of the water, and Hanzo, is, his attention is grabbed, and he walks over, and they shake hands. And you hear Hanzo say, it's good to see you again. And you hear this creature say, Abathur, please to greet Hanzo as well. And Hanzo introduces Hope. Hope, this is Abathur. He's an old friend. Abathur, this is Hope. And Abathur looks at him and goes, Creature recognized. Disinterest immediate. Abathur here for Hanzo. Hanzo explains to Hope, Abathur is going to give us passage through the ocean so that we can get around the bulk of the Empire territory. We'll still have to fight our way through the palace, but we can avoid much of his armies this way. And Abathur says, Change of plans, distressing news, must alter course. And Hanzo looks at him as if to say, go on. Empire employ new creation, clockwork designed for water, tested it on peaceful, floating city of Gilgamesh. Mortality rate of all gilmen there, 100%. Merfolk in death count as well. Combat of creature untenable. Water's no longer safe. And Hanzo looks distressed, which is, he sort of tries to keep a, a stone demeanor, but there are times like now when it fails. However, old plan no longer necessary. Abathur have new information. Intelligence reliable. Valerian spotted with army en route to Tanlu. And Hope says, are you sure? He's spotted with the army, not holed up in his palace. 
Abathur says, Intel reliable, probability of correct, 80%. That's not the best. Is enough. Scouts, eyewitnesses, Valerian with army. Well, I guess that would make going to the palace irrelevant. So what now? Well, we head to Tanlu. To Tanlu? We just... We just walked away from Tanlu. Everyone there's gonna die. It's a foolish battle. Abathur have more intel. Armies greater than expected. Dwarves have pledged fealty to resistance. The dwarves? Everyone's coming out of their homes now. And what's the percentage on this one? 10%? Abathur, sure of this information. Well, with the dwarves, they certainly have a better chance. Yes, we'll have better chance. Likelihood of battle being successful for resistance, low, even with inclusion of dwarves. Well, this is all irrelevant. We can't possibly get back there. We've spent days, weeks walking this way. The army's going to be there before. We're going to make it there before we get halfway. Abathur, provide assistance. We'll teleport there anyway. Can bring you as well. Hansa looks at him and says, why are you going there now? Abathur, part of League of Magic. League of Magic, create vote. Decide to help battle at Tanlu. Abathur will honor vote. You're going to fight at Tanlu. With League of Magic assisting, odds of victory for resistance greater, still bad. I thought we can't teleport anywhere. There's been wards set up all across Empire territory. Wards not set up as far north as Tanlu. Can arrive there shortly. Bring you. What do you think? As Hanzo was thinking, he says, Our mission doesn't change. The balcony uses a distraction, and we head straight for Max. And he turns, in almost a genuine care, Hanzo looks at Abathur and says, If you fight in this battle and you lose, you know you're going to die. Why are you going to fight this battle which we all know we'll lose? Hope and I, we've already come to terms with our fate. We know that to die is enough if we die with Valerian. Why should Abathur fear death? If Abathur is, death is not. If death is, Abathur is not. Why should Abathur fear that which cannot exist when Abathur does? And Hanzo kind of like, can't argue against that logic. Alright, take us there. The scene freezes. I walk over to Abathur. I can't say I've seen many merfolk. Sort of a weird bunch. Talk about their home incessantly. But, uh, I mean, I don't think you can get away from a conversation with a merfolk without talking about their home. But now with the war... They're so concerned about it. Maybe now they're doing less talking about it, more trying to protect it. Abathur seemed nice, talked weird. I guess he thought pronouns were inefficient. But uh, if Hanzo trusted him, so did I. I just wish I could have warned Hanzo what this was all going to mean for him. Cheshire is still there, correct? Yes, at the end of every scene, he appears with you. Cheshire, didn't you say that we had to like tell her she was in a memory to wake her up or something? Yes, you must wait as the parser syncs your minds up with hers. When that is done, you can then communicate to her. You are still undergoing the synchronization process. The scene goes white. The parser moves on to the next memory. You're at this city built into a mountain. It almost looks like a hollowed out volcano lights coming from the town. But you're out on the edges of it. And you're at the bottom of a hill. And you can hear the noise of the marching of clockwork coming over the hill. And you see them countless thousands of clockwork and their many varieties and they come down and ready to meet them are the men you've seen so far the rebels what hope would call the lin kuei the sort of ninjas that were joining with the rebels from the empire and they prepare to receive this army and to defend civilian town of tanlu against them 
these soldiers of these clockwork army that comes across is bolstered as screaming from behind this hill flying into the sky and above the battlefield are countless dragons and this is the memory which you saw before Lanris when you first touched hope and then the battle commences the armies meet and there is carnage and it is hopeless the rebels, the Lin Kuei, are being decimated, making little ground until the ground beneath them begins to shake. And as the ground shakes, bursting forth in mounds, and almost as ants coming from an ant mound are forming, it's pouring out by numbers almost as great as the clockwork, and they begin to tackle and fight against these clockwork. And the Formians have these traps sprung where great swaths of land caves into the ground in the dirt caving and burying alive as it were clockwork upon clockwork some clockwork are too tall and while they are now immobilized they'll shoot the cannons out of their gigantic forearmed frame the battle goes well for a moment for the resistance and then another burst out of the ground as flying just streaming as flies would come out of the ground is these winged lizards. As these Warbians fly into the sky, they begin engaging with these clockwork dragons. And they can only make any sort of ground because of their numbers for the dragons do just with every swipe and every breath take out swaths of these Warbians. And the battle begins to turn back towards the clockworks, more crest over the hill. And with that crest, you see at the top of it, Valerian, surrounded by a great number of various sizes and colors of hellhounds, and of course, a personal guard, as he just watches the battle from above. And that's when Hope looks up and says, Myrmidons to me, and the sort of scattered three Myrmidons that were left close in around Hope, and Hope and Hanzo begin to fight a very specific strategic fight to not win and be part of the battle, but to circumvent it and to maybe get to that hill. But as this happens, it becomes nearly impossible as the clockwork are winning their superior numbers. It's too much even with all the Formians, Rebels, Lin Kuei, Wervians, Wizards, everything is too much. And that's when cresting over the opposite hill, as if lying in wait and ambush just for this moment, and with a great war and high-o, come dwarves upon dwarves upon dwarves, almost rolling down the hill. And this great army of dwarves clashes with a great noise against the clockwork. And again, the battle has swung to the favor of the rebels. But like before, it is momentary, as the countless numbers of clockwork everyone is struck down is replaced a few moments later it is an endless pouring like water over a hill just too much like an ocean beating time after time after time eventually the shore gives way there's too much clockwork this battle is being lost and you hear someone yell one of the myrmidons yell to hope does it feel to you like things are the battlefield's getting a little bit smaller and hope looks around and smiles as she realizes why it is Indeed, the battlefield is getting smaller as the forest marches into the battle and trees reach with their roots deep into the ground, miles away from where they are, pull up and grab clockwork and rip them apart, bring them to the ground, immobilize them. Any dragon that has landed tries to keep them 
entangles them, traps them, brings them to the ground, and the forest again sways it back in favor. Like a pendulum, this battle swings back and forth. And in this moment, there's, there's finally a sort of stalemate. But like the ocean that retreats and comes back again, the pouring of clockwork and bolster as Valerian releases the Hounds of Hell. The battle swings back in favor of the clockwork. And at that moment, pushing past Hope, pushing past Hanzo, and many other men, is a tall man and wearing robes and no armor, who is tattooed in various ways, and behind him, a varied amount of spellcasters. And he reaches to the sky with a large staff, and the clouds begin to turn, and a raging thunder, raging lightning storm appears, and instead of lightning strikes, they hit the ground and then stay, just continuously pouring to the ground, and then just create lines crisscrossing the enemies, and this electricity tears through the clockwork. This storm is so great and so powerful that it must only be accomplished by the most powerful of spellcasters. Abathur is there, and he opens up his hands, and what looks like spores come out of them, and they infect some of his allies and they grow extra arms, grow claws, grow armor. They grow more powerful, a trade to be sure, but then some of them can even go one-on-one -on -one with a clockwork now. And another one of the wizards, who looks no more stereotypical than you could possibly get of a wizard, only lacking the stars on his great big hat, stakes his staff into the ground and cracking the ground beneath them, earthquakes and great gaps into the ground, and then sort of rising out of the ground as someone would rise out of water, elementals from the earth. The lightning would strike some of these elementals, turning them into lightning elementals. And elementals of all kind, fire that bursts up from the ground, turns into living, and there's a new army of elementals that joins into this battle. And then it is minutes and minutes and minutes of this battle back and forth of Formians, Wervians, dwarves, the forest, all these magicians, the rebels, the Lin Kuei, all versus these clockwork and these these hellhounds. And the battle is, is, it could go either way. And that is when Hanzo and Hope finally manage to make their way, circumventing most of the battle, getting through some of it as they have to, to get to Valerian. Valerian turns and catches them. He looks at me, smirks, and he says, finally, as he gazes on Hanzo. Hope and Hanzo fight with Valerian and his hellhounds, many of which are gone now in the main battle. A few clockwork remain, but then many of them have poured over the hill to fight the battle. And as they begin to engage, Valerian fights a bit differently than before, hurling more fire, summoning less. And there's a moment where he screams enough as a, a strike from Hanzo hit him, and he turns into pure flame. Then suddenly, a man you've never seen before appears out of nowhere in the sky and uses the momentum of falling to strike at Valerian's new fire form with a sword coated in ice. And it rips Valerian out of this form. And he turns to look upon this man this man wields a sword that seems to deliver his spells. And this new ally is well welcomed by Hope and Hanzo, though they know not who he is. And this battle continues. But then, as if without instruction, as if knowing by nature, some of the clockwork peel off from the battle 
to bolster Valerian. And their moment of surprise, the three, four minute window they had to kill Valerian passes. And there's too much. They can't win. Hanzo and Hope set themselves to die. It is the end. And at that moment, appearing out of vines and then walking out of them as if they transformed into flesh is Abathur, who looks at Hanzo for just a moment, not sparing enough to be able to say or do anything other than stretch out his hands. Hanzo screams no as he realizes what is happening, and then you blink and you're miles and miles away from the battle. The very last thing you see in the flash is Valerian smashing his fiery flail down and crushing the head of Abathur. You're miles away looking at the battle, and Hanzo is just finishing his scream of no. And this other man who had joined the battle is upset, and he screams, and he yells, and he says, Your friend just cost us that fight. We had him. We were this close. This close. And Hope looks at him and says, Can't you see loss when it occurs? We had lost. That man just saved your life. And Hanzo has fallen to his knees, overcome with grief, as he has had to watch a great friend of his die, sacrifice himself to save him, and the scene freezes. I'm going to interact with the new guy. That was my first meeting of Thorin. Uh, we ended up becoming good friends. We maybe, what, oof, a little less than ten years, eight years? It's hard to remember time anymore. You sort of stop counting. He had as much a grudge against my father as me or Hanzo. He had pledged his life to killing that man, and we were happy to have the ally. Sure, we had to get over the rough edges of this first meeting, but he ended up being uh, instrumental in finally slaying my father. My Myrmidons were gone. It was only us three at this point. The three left that would venture down deep in eight years kill my dad. Hey, Landris. Yeah? How old did Hope say she was? Like 20? How old does she look to you right now? Like the same age. Weird. What? I mean, I, I don't know. Just seems like she should be older, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Everything grows white and the parser takes you to the next memory. This moment seems to be a huge jump in time. Hanzo, Thorin look much older. Hope only looks as she's aged a year, maybe. Maybe two. Closer to one. But it's, this has been a huge jump in time. And you're at where many of these memories happened. You're at the throne room. And you stand there with Thorin and Hanzo, and no other, facing Valerian and his Praetorian guard, gigantic clockwork, another dragon perched up in the window again, and of course, his hellhounds. As they enter the room, Hanzo looks up at Valerian and says, Hello, brother. And without exchanging any sort of words, the battle begins. <gasps> This is Hanzo's third time fighting Valerian, second time in this room, and like each battle, things have changed, they've learned from each other. And as Valerian does his different tactics, there's always a there's always a response to it. Turns into fire, they hit him with a blast hard enough to knock him out of it. He summons a hellhound, they hit him in the sweet spot before the summoning can finish. They're doing everything right, but they're only ever stopped because they are facing more numbers than they want to, more numbers than should be fair. And the battle is vicious, and it is certainly the hardest fight you've seen of all of them. The battle is sort of beautiful in the way that spells are being cast back and forth. 
from the clockwork mages to what Valerian can do to the spells delivered through the weapons of Thorin. They all show their age, though. Some of it's sloppier than the previous battles you've seen, but it ends in much the same way you've seen many of these battles end. And Valerian holds up Hanzo, and he, he with one hand holds him up by the collar, with the other hand has pressed Hanzo's arms and hands against his own chest. Valerian knows Hanzo well. He knows he can charge weapons, thrown weapons, even a sword with key, and explode and do such massive, terrible, terrible damage. So now he has, he's pressed Hanzo's hands against himself that if he wants to charge anything, he would kill himself. Valerian has him up there. Thorin has been slayed. There is almost none left as Hope is desperately trying to get to Valerian and help Hanzo, but she can't. She's dealing with this clockwork Goliath towering over her. She can't take her attention away from it for a second. If she does, she knows she will perish. And Hanzo and Valerian look at each other and Valerian is shouting at him saying, things to the kin of you should have been by my side you should have been here hanzo i would call you a traitor but aren't we all the world pushes us without mercy and when someone pushes back the world points and cries evil where have you been hanzo why have you set yourself up against me we should have been the greatest of friends hanzo we and you we killed emperors together we overthrew evil together. What are you doing now? What are you doing now? And Hanzo looks at him with a tear in his eye and says, The same thing. And Hanzo's hands glow and his chest glows with a purple greenish fire. And before Valerian could figure it out, before Valerian could stop it, at just a moment, you can see a moment where he tries to throw Hanzo away. It's too late. As Hanzo charges himself up with key, and explodes in a final bout of suicide and takes Valerian out with him. After the flash destroys the room, there is nothing but ringing and pitch. As your vision returns to you, you look up to see nothing but a mausoleum. Everyone dead. You can't get up. You're soaked in blood. You ache. In so many places, you can't point out where. You wonder if you're dead. You manage to move. You crawl and crawl over to your father's corpse and sigh with exasperation. You're still alive. Valerian barely clings to life. And Hope, unable to get up, simply leans up against him and says, Look, Dad, it's the world for which you strive. You alone among the dead. You should be glad mom isn't around to see you like this. To see what you've become. What if Mana could see you now? And the four words Hope would least expect to hear next come out of Valerian's mouth. What have I done? My best friend who once sacrificed everything to put me in power now sacrifices himself to kill me. And you look and he is horribly marred with fire and sword and spell. And my own daughter prizes my death. All this for a woman who would hate me for what I have done in her name. Hope eyes him suspiciously, not ready to accept these crocodile tears. Hope, I wish I had done things different. A flash of realization. He tries to take her hand, and she's too weak to pull it away, but she tries anyway. Hope, when one makes a wish... You must be very careful. It will betray you if you try to trick it. You must be very specific. 
tell it what you mean and only what you want. Do not try to chain it and bar it. And she interrupts him. Why are you telling me this? Just pay attention. If you make the wish. And she, he puts the ring in her hand. And she like pushes away from him and goes, this ring is useless. Why are you teaching me this? If you're trying to convince me you've had a change of heart. Good fecking luck. Just let us die in peace. Listen. And he continues to explain to her exactly how to make a wish. And she, too weak to resist, just listens, waiting for him to perish, waiting for her to perish from the wounds they have. And he looks at her and he says, I'm sorry, Hope. I really am. And he holds the ring close to his chest, this ring that has an empty pearl on it, discolored and almost translucent with black. And he glows white. And then that white light goes into the ring and the pearl regains its visage. And he sighs and he breathes no more and collapses a corpse. Hope crawls over him and finally weeps. She cries. Her wounded frame, thin, now thin frame over his collapsed body. Her hand crumpled up the top of his cape, her other hand over his hand that has the ring clutched in it. She just weeps for a while. Turning her mind now to not perishing, but to figuring out what's going on, she turns the hand over and plucks the ring out of it. She shakes her head. She must have a rush of thoughts. You can't imagine what she's thinking. She uses a pillar to prop herself up. She takes one last look at this graveyard, puts the ring on, and says the words that her father had just spent the last of his life teaching her. (sighs) I wish I could stop this from ever happening. And the scene freezes. And another version of Hope walks out of where Hope is standing. And it looks like Hope now looks now, connected to the parser, the short hair, everything. And she walks over to her father's corpse and talks to him. What changed, huh? What was it in those last few moments that finally made you see what you'd become? That made you realize what you had done? I don't think he did change. She snaps her head up and looks at you. Lanris? Victor? Why am I thinking of you two? We're here to get you out. Get me out? Yeah, you're you're hooked up to a computer. It's crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. I get it now. <laughs> it wasn't your wish. That was his wish he made you make. She purses her lips, but then doesn't speak. He realized he had lost, but he Baron always has a plan. That was his last ditch effort to win a losing battle. No, no, he wanted me to undo the tragedy of the war. He didn't want me to undo this battle. Nope, he he wanted himself to win. He knew he wasn't getting out of that alive, so he did the only thing he could. Told you how to make the wish he wanted you to make, so that you'd go save whatever other version we're interacting with. Oh no, I have to believe he changed at the end. I don't know why, I don't know how, and she kicks his corpse. But he did, something clicked at the end. (laughs) Yeah, that he was mortal. It was the second time he'd ever lost. Hope, what's the last thing you remember? Where do you think you are right now? This, this is this is too much. And Cheshire appears. Sirs, I must inform you. The brain activity has spiked. The brain is heating up behind safe limits. Hope, Hope, calm down. No, no. He turned at the end and he... He, he wasn't making me try to wish for him. He was... He wanted... He really wanted things to be right. If he didn't tell you how to word the wish, what would you have wished for? I, I would have wished for a father. I would have wished that all the madness he had done was undone. Didn't sound like what he had you wish for. Sounds like he wanted this, this losing battle, to never happen. He was a monster till the end, huh? My mom used to say to him when he felt bad, you're only a monster guy if you act like one. 
guess you never stopped acting like one. I'm sorry. I really am. Don't get it. Why are you here? This memory has nothing to do with you. Trying to help you, Hope. Where'd you go after you left the AAA boat? Dad took me away. We met up with these, these politicians. There was all this talk about things I didn't understand. J.G. Locke? Yes, that was one of them. I didn't like him. He reminded me of my father. After a while, my dad told me that they were that I was going to help them in some way. And I didn't willingly. The fool he tricked me. I, I, I willingly sat on their chair. And once it began to change my body, she brings her hand up to her head. And kind of like her hand reacts as it touches one of the metal sort of ports. Too late, I couldn't stop them. And, and then everything went, everything went black. I don't remember what happened after that. Hope, could could you feel that? When you reached your hand up to your head, could you feel something? She reaches up and feels it again. What is this? It's something horrible, but we were told you're able to remove it from yourself. We can't do it. Sirs, Cheshire says, the parser is going to be moving on soon. You are about to desync. Hope, you don't have a lot of time. Gotta believe us. You can remove it yourself. Remove what? You gotta come out of all this. All this memory. Back to the real world. Your your body. You're remembering things right now. You gotta, I don't know, wake up. You gotta choose to disconnect from these memories. I've been remembering for so long. Feels like forever. Think about Kadesh. Kadesh. And all the dumb algae everywhere. You see almost a smirk. It makes poor alcohol. Yes, it does. <laughs> she feels the back of her head again. I feel like something's on my face. Trust us, Hope. You can remove it. I feel it. it on my eyes. It's burning. Sir, the parcel will be moving in ten seconds. You gotta remove it from your face. You've got to do it. Only you can. Sir, five seconds. I don't. Trust us. There's no one else to trust. There is us. She grabs in front of her face as if she was doing it, and she mimes pulling the device off of her face. You guys are ripped out of the memory. You now are sitting in the thing, and back in that room, Kentaro's looking at you sort of worriedly as he sees you guys awake, and you look at Hope, and she grabs this thing, and she pulls it, and you see it almost like these wires that are dug in around her eyes pull out and like pull out from underneath her eyelids, and she rips it off and throws it out, and she screams as she does it. And now you can see these burns around her eyes. It sort of looks like running mascara, except instead of mascara, it's these black burnt skin marks. And she like feels and like hates that she feels these wires in the back of her head. And she begins to pull them out and each time comes with a scream as it's very obviously very painful for her. Uh, sir, the parser is communicating to me that there is a premature disconnection. Would you like me to reestablish the connection? No. Sir, there is catastrophic failure with Project Alice. This must not continue if Project Alice is to continue. Are you sure you want this to continue? What was the third step of Project Alice? Phase two was to analyze all the information and create a strategic plan of action. Project Alice has gotten enough information. The termination of the host threat was too great. Keep all information acquired here locally. Are you sure? I'm supposed to be transferring it. No, don't transfer it. It's incomplete. Useless to the people on the other end. Level two clearance has been accepted. She pulls out the last of the wires and rests her head on the table. <gasps> I walk over to her. I know that last moment we saw, you wanted your lifelong quest of stopping your father to be over, to be finished, but it's still going on. If you'll accept my help, I want to see it through to the end. She looks at you through burnt eyes. What has he done now? He's the one that set you up to this machine, or at least gave you to them for it. Sell out his own daughter. I was almost convinced. Almost convinced he actually cared. This, I point to the maps. Kadesh is the same world. It would seem, but in the future, they were aligning the maps that you knew of the world with our oceans, 
Seems like the old world's buried under there. They were looking for what they call the distant dragon. Who's they? The chairman. Locke. The other politicians you spoke with. We should have stuck together. She like looks at you, and she looks at herself. My face like contorts when she says that, and I try not to yell at her. <laughs> she goes over to a locker and opens it up and pulls out the picture that she had brought with her and looks at it longingly and goes, It's so different than where we are now. Oh yeah, we look completely different. kind of feels her hair. It's barely any of it's the same anymore. We didn't, she looks at you. We didn't do what the wish said. What do you mean? The wish wanted us together. If we were together, we could have stopped everything. <sighs> Maybe there's still a chance. You said you're willing, I'm willing. My, my face still looks kind of angry when she said we should have stuck together. Maybe we've failed and we can't do what the ring wanted us to do. We can't stop what happened in my world, but I can... I'll sure as heck go to my grave trying to stop my dad from doing anything to your world. Or your time, I guess. I guess things went pretty bad if the rest of my world's underwater. Yeah, if we don't stop it, it's gonna go down in flame. It was probably global warming. <laughs> it's a very inconvenient truth. <laughs> Sometimes, like, I, I really enjoy um, our podcast. I could edit it like a, like a, an audio drama, um, but I sort of like the moments where we where we almost talk to the audience, the moments where it's like, yeah, we are playing a game and we're making jokes. Like, this is a serious moment, just like in a serious audio drama. But like, we can make jokes. I like that about our podcast. Are you trying to sell our podcast on episode 31 to the people still listening? <laughs> I am. Please still listen. <laughs> I'm just a mo- sorry. See, look, I just had a moment of, of pure childlike joy about what we're doing, but thanks for yanking it away from me. <laughs> There's a large sort of trench coat in this locker that she puts on. Do you have any idea who Veeam is? Veeam. I've never heard of Veeam. Well, he's he's a, and I'd use air quotes, hacker um, who led us to you. We're supposed to bring you back to him, but to be honest, we don't know who he is. Did Veeam also tell us to bring the data? He did not. Matter of fact, he said, try to erase the data, but if you can only manage to get him, he called it him, he didn't know it was her, out, then bring, just bring him. The white rabbit was the main thing, but if you could delete the data, do so. Should we delete all the data here? Yeah, we probably should. After all this, maybe we can, I don't know. We know it's down there now, so I guess we don't need to know the actual names of it. Did you bring your bot? Venbot? Yeah, he's always here. I'm just never acknowledging him. (laughs) (laughs) Make a backup, and then we delete everything else? Hope, is any of those places important? And I point to the names on the board. They're all important. Coral, that's the capital. Tanlu, that's where we had the biggest battle. Those guys lost. That place, yeah, these are all important places. I think anyone would have anything left after being underwater for hundreds, thousands of years. Oh, jeez Louise, I don't know. They're looking for a dragon, and I think that's literal. Of all the different types of clockwork dragons, was there one that was head and shoulders above the others? They all did different things. No one was more important than the other. Hey, on that map, what lines up with Kadesh? Oh, what a great question that I certainly did think about beforehand. Good thing Caleb thinks of everything. Kadesh is at one of the highest sort of peaks of one of the mountains towards the west. There's a whole mess of mountains. Where we went to the tower underwater, what's listed there on the map? Antioch. I, I gestured to that location on the map and said, was there anything here? Magic users, tower. That was the home base of the crazy queen that killed my mom. What happened to that lady? She tried to release a weapon on us, but stupidly released it on herself. It is a weapon that was activated by knowing about it. So as soon as we figured that out, we stopped investigating as to not release it on ourselves. And since her main allies were Formians, they uh, had a hive mind. Once one of them knew, they all knew. It was impossible to stop. And that's the best we could figure. Where? Which one of these is the Manx capital? That's right here, Korhal, in the center. Uh, how far is, like, where is that relatively to us? Far east of you. Is that where they made the clockwork? 
I mean, it's the seat of human power, of, of the empire power, but clockworks were made all over. There was different factories, and once the war really revved up, they made new ones and hit it. I mean, it was precious intel to figure out where they were. Alright, we'll take a good hard look, because we're wiping this out. Wipe it all. I've done enough remembering for a lifetime. I'm gonna hit the big old delete key. I like the picture there is a giant key that just says delete. It's <laughs> like a normal ASDF keyboard, except delete is just like, gigantic. Oh, that's too obvious. I, I go hit like the most innocuous button, like scroll lock. Ah, oh, you figured out my trap, Christian. <laughs> Darn, I was hoping to catch you. Cheshire says, confirm delete? Uh, yes. Level 2 clearance confirmed. Deleting information. Information scrubbed. How long were we out, Kentaro? Maybe an hour. Starting to get worried, but you guys looked like you were fine. Let's take one last look around and then get out of here. All the screens are displaying nothing but a blue screen. There's not much else around here. Looks like this was a very specialized, purposeful facility. Much smaller than all the other ones you've been in. Hey, Cheshire, can, you, can I leave a message for the next person that comes in? Yes. Just say Spencer was here. Recording. Spencer was here. <laughs> and thus, Dr. Spencer was arrested, <laughs> carted off. And then Sarah lost her job. <laughs> Started a whole downward spiral. All right, let's get the hell out of here. You guys leave. I guess we leave that guy tied up in the bread shop. Yep, he's still knocked out. You know, I want to hit him again, just to <laughs> just to create some more blunt force trauma. Yeah, really, really. I really wanted to life. have yeah a real good concussion. Okay, done. <laughs> when you guys get outside, Hope kind of looks up at the skyline and at the platform above you and takes in the city, the. The smells, the sounds of sirens in the distance of people everywhere and kind of smiles and says, believe it or not, it's actually kind of nice. Sort of, sort of tired of living in my world. You missed the storm. It was a bad storm. Thunder, lightning, snow, hail. On your way back, Hope asks what happened. Are you going to fill her in on stuff? Is there anything you're going to leave out? Hmm. That's a good question. I definitely want to get her on the Baron Hate train. So I tell her what he did to me. Not in great detail, because I don't want to seem too much like a loser. <laughs> Vic, are you going to tell her about the whole God stuff? Hmm. I will definitely tell her about the seeing the vision of the end of the world. Tell her about Ioma Day, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to tell her about all of the binding of Quetzalcoatl and all that. Or unbinding, you know, all that yeah, stuff. So you're really mentioning Ioma Day. Yeah. Her response to that is... Well, you're uh, one of the lucky few. In history, gods have taken akin to many people, but it's maybe 50-50 whether or not it works out well for him. But uh, hey, at least we got a god on our side, huh? Yeah, and it's his sister. Mm. It's your sister? Oh, are we not supposed to tell people that? No. What do you mean? We have these, and I have Vic hold up the Trucian goggles, because I think by default no, he has I want to have them like, hanging around my neck, and you're like, we have these, and you're like yanking me as you're doing it. <laughs> I let you see things for, for how they truly are, air quotes. I look at Hope with them. She looks just like her, except there is a ring on her finger that looks just like the wish ring, even though she's not wearing it now in real life. Oh. That's okay. the only difference. And it's kind of you know glowing, so it's distinguishable. It doesn't look like a normal ring. And if I correctly recall, that was originally his her mother's ring, correct? Uh, it was the ring which was crafted to use to wish her into existence. Right, 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 right. When you look at my sister with these goggles, she looks... She appears to be Iomade. Hmm. Don't tell her. Okay. But do you have any idea what that could mean? Sounds to me like possession. I don't think she's being possessed. Well, that's all I got. Gods don't do it very often, but maybe in this world where we thought them all dead and they all weak, maybe that's what they resort to. You know that this is my world now. You know that all the gods I know exist. For some reason, they're not paying attention anymore, but they're, they're here. Can you kill a god? I don't know. 
Landorus, we I had we've trouble enough killing a man. We've killed some gods. I guess a little a little of indication for you. Red was indeed magical. <laughs> Told you. She's and, dead. Yeah. Oh, kind of liked her music. And not because I was enchanted to, unlike the rest of you scrubs. That's what everyone says. Do you know anything about Quetzalcoatl? Quetzalcoatl. The name rings a bell. Some god I didn't study. What else do we tell? I mean, I guess we don't have to tell her about, like, being, uh, ooh, maybe she can help with you, Vic. I, uh, keep losing functions of my organs and my limbs and all that good stuff. Uh, what was that called? Alchemy or something? The, 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 the thing you're infected with? The Prothean? Does that sound familiar at all? No, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm just gonna hold your head. I'm having trouble thinking about anything right now. You, you want a piece of fruit? Come raise an eyebrow. I would kill for a piece of fruit. What, what kind? An orange would be great. One that I didn't, wouldn't conjure up and disappear a day later. I, I pull her out an orange from the belt, the sash. Oh, she takes it and eats it happily. And then, like, she kind of eats, chews slowly, almost as if the moving of the jaw is bothering her head. Um, anybody got any cigarettes? Venbot, do you have a tobacco license? <laughs> Indeed I do, sir. Get her some Virginia Slims. <laughs> I only have Kadesh Fats. <laughs> no, they're camels, but it's literally just a guy. <laughs> he dispenses a pack of anthropomorphic camels. That guy looks so cool. I bet the kids will love him. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Then we became a political podcast. She takes one and she looks like it's the happiest she's been in her whole life as she just takes a long drag. Now I just need to get some whiskey. Real whiskey. My whis- whiskey's real. Listen, I'm- and she kind of like lean- puts her elbows on her knees as her hands up to her mouth so she can easily get the cigarette in and out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I look at her and raise an eyebrow like, go on. Last night I saw you guys. I, I was woken up in the middle of the night by my dad. And-, and he told me we had to go and I tried to coax information out of me. He wouldn't tell me. He just told me we had to go now. So we left. He wouldn't tell me what was going on. And by the time I learned it was it was too late. I I trusted him. You don't know how hard it is to, well, maybe you do, but to, to finally have somebody, a relationship you thought you were convinced was impossible to have again. You trusted him more than the people that gave you literally their clothes off their back. I'm sorry. They're dead now. Tally, Marcus, Tar. Kataro got his ears chopped off. That was great. Kintaro takes off his helmet. Everyone's suffered because of what you did. Shiva's even more machine now at she leaves dead people in closets. <laughs> I don't know what to say or to do, except offer you help to make it right, to stop from continuing. I had to watch a lot of people die in my life, people I cared about, I love. I know it hurts. I know there's not anyone, any, anything anyone could ever say to make it feel better. Just promise me that no matter what happens, no matter what, we're, go- we're going to stop Baron. He might, he's going to call you princess. He's going to try to do the same thing again. I know how badly you want to reconnect with a parent you think you've lost. Trust trust me, I know. But we can't believe a word he says. He'll always be the man on the dark side of that coin. She closes her eyes and a tear escapes from her lids. Okay. I hold my hand out to her. She reciprocates and shakes her hand. I try to pull her in for the hug she so rudely rejected 20 episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> callback. It's a callback, people. And uh, that sparks her. She says, no, that's the one thing that would bring me to anger and roll initiative. <laughs> she awkwardly stands there as you hug her, this person she doesn't know very well. And I awkwardly stand there and watch. And Kator awkwardly tries to join in, make a three-way hug. <laughs> oh, if he tries, I, I get in on that, too. Come on, Vinbot, everybody. And this really sweet scene becomes a goofy show. <laughs> and then you guys arrive home. Go into the house. She says, so what now? You're going to hand me over to this Veeam? We're going with you. 
We're, we gotta wait for contact from him. Uh, is everyone still at my house? Let's say no. Let's say right now it's just you guys. We got time till then. Hey, uh, Victor. Yeah. You got any of those, uh, um, algios? <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely have algios. I go make her a bowl. I bring it back to her. She, normally, like a normal human being, just sits there and eats cereal. Kentaro kind of, like, takes you aside, Lanners. So what's the plan here? What do you mean? I mean, what are we going to do when we bring her to Veeam? He obviously wants her. We're handing her over. We're using her. Depends who Veeam is. I think we got to play all that by ear, which is a saying I'm officially not a fan of. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Maybe she knows a spell that can regrow our ears. We should wait to ask her, but we should definitely ask her. Are you doing okay? I think so. I'm going to I'm gonna talk to Dahlia when she gets back. Talk to her. Are you, are you ready to tell her? I don't know. There's so much left undone. I feel like there's just not enough time for everything. Yeah, we gotta fit the wedding somewhere in our schedule here. Between religious death fights. Memory machines and hackers. Yeah. And I hope she really seems sorry for what she did. She seems it. I'm becoming less and less trustworthy as time goes on. Tr- trusting as time goes on. I think I get more trustworthy myself, but... I don't know. We've seen what her bloodline is capable of. I'm keeping a wary eye out. I mean, she, she's really with us. She's our only chance. She knows magic. She can do stuff in the book. Oh, that's right. What else can we use that book for? Here, here, get it out. Book time. What about this one? And he points to call beyond the veil. Uh, isn't that one pretty risky? It might give us a chance to talk to that woman possessing your sister. Let me go get Victor. Hey, Vic, can I talk to you for a second? Uh, yeah. Hey, don't, don't eat all the algaeos, okay? I mean, you can have, you can have okay. another bowl, but some of us need our breakfast. <laughs> right, I'll limit myself to two bowls. Okay. Hey, guys. What's up? <laughs> that might be one of my favorite moments. It just <laughs> Hey, Vic, what do you think about this? We got a caster now, and one that probably won't, you know, try to twist our arms into and create dead people. What do you think about doing this? And he points to call beyond the veil, which allows somebody possessed by a spirit or entity, uh, allows the spirit to talk through. What, you mean using it on my sister? Yeah. <sighs> what, maybe we can talk with Iowa Maybe that's all we need to do. We want answers. Freaking, who would have better answers than a god? What, what are the repercussions of this? What's the bad stuff? Um... I'm going to tell you in game terms, and then you can figure out how that works. Okay. If you fail, everyone gets a negative level, and you're exhausted until the negative level is removed. If you complete it, the backlash is simply that everyone gets exhausted, and you get one temporary negative level that's removed after the first day. Or there's a save to remove after the first day. Oh, okay. I thought that was... It might have been one of the other ones I was thinking about where it's, like, really bad. I mean, it's bad enough, but, yeah, and it's not dead. And look, we have what we need here. An object or person possessed. We got that. And the name of the spirit or entity called. We know Iomade's name. That's all. That's true. <sighs> Lanris, I, I know you haven't spoken to her or seen her, but she's the only one of them I trust. And if we could get some answers, it would really help. Lanris is like biting his lips. Eyes are getting watery. And Tara puts a hand on her shoulder. It's my sister. I know. Maybe. Maybe we can ask it to leave her alone. To maybe possess one of us, like Kentaro. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's, well, we, we, we'll talk, we'll talk. Like we'll definitely Kentaro. I feel like definitely is a strong word. If anything happens to her. I, I know. I can't protect her from this. I don't know how. Everything feels so out of our control. This might be a chance to, to grab control. I don't think Iomade's there to hurt your sister. Neither was Saren, Ray, and look what happened. Yeah, but Red was a bad person. And we killed. Yeah, I killed Red. I'll t- I, I will talk to her. I can't make any promises. Do you hear from the kitchen? Oh, hello. Is that, is that Dahlia? <laughs> it's Dahlia. You go over and you see she's staring at Hope. Uh, hi. Hope looks up. Hi. Uh, she wipes from her. Uh, hi, I'm Hope. I'm a friend of Victor and Landris. Do you know them? Yeah, sort of familiar. Oh, hey, Vic. Hey, how you doing? Hey, real quick. Hey, uh, who's eating my algios? <laughs> That's Hope. 
They're kind of all of our LGOs, and I told her only a second bowl. That's fine. Okay, well, first problem, my house, my LGOs. Uh, I've gone out shopping several times, thank you. <laughs> and then the rest of the episode is them. Are, it's like two... T- <laughs> two housemates in an argument over the food if it's in the fridge and i told you if it's in a red bottle it's mine you know that i was just hungry the pizza leftovers were mine you had your four pieces the other four pieces I put were my mine. name on that box and you ate it anyway oh sorry i'll refund you the three credits it's not about the money you know that dahlia <laughs> it's the principal <sighs> it that's hope that's um i look over at landris you should be used to us bringing strangers home by now yeah i suppose i should in trench coats that's the comic girl. Oh. And uh, she's been in, she's been, a uh, guess, kind of a prisoner. I mean, look what they've done to her. Look at her head. And she now catches the back of her head shaved and implanted with those plugs. And she looks at you, Landers, and goes, well, glad to see you're freeing prisoners now. Uh, we've been prisoners, so don't even go there. Nope, that was that was sort of the emphasis. It's like, hey, look, now you're doing it. You're helping others. Oh, okay. Fun. I took it as sarcastic because that's yeah, way to assume. Well, I'm, that's your go. That's your you know default. You know what? I don't want you in my algae cabinet anymore. I'm cutting you off. Well, go get me some algae jacks. They're better anyway. <laughs> hey, Dahlia, can I talk? Can I talk with you? Sure. She like puts down whatever she was carrying, like a bunch of papers in her briefcase. And as you leave, kind of Kentaro gives you like a, a reassuring nod, like good luck. What's up, bro? Do you remember the time that you were working on that case, that uh, it was a domestic abuse case, a child custody kind of thing, eh. and you were trying to get the kid to go to the, the right person, and I, I got you some evidence that, you know, helped helped you win that one. Yeah. I also remember all the legal loopholes I had to jump over the way you got that evidence. Yeah, because you, you didn't know that technically that wasn't permissible in court, and once once you found out, you were kind of freaking out. And, but the case was already closed and it was just, you know, it would, someone would have to go back and look into it and you were just kind of awake with worry and because you knew something, but you couldn't do anything about it. Yes. There's, there's something going on right now that's kind of like that. There's something you don't know that t- technically affects you, but if you know about it, it's not going to change anything. What are you trying to say? You know, we've been acting weird and keeping something from you and I've been trying my best to protect you and i know you don't need protection but it's what i want to do i can tell you what's going on but like i said we can't do anything about it and you might just stay awake with worry wondering what it means and i what is it lanaris she looks serious are you sure you want to know well a cat's sort of out of the bag at this point lanaris am i supposed to say no i don't want to know and walk away and just forever wonder what's going on what is it she looks worried because she sees how worried you are i hand her the goggles Put them on. She puts them on and looks at you. All right, you look like you, but darker. I point to like a mirror in the room. She looks at it and her mouth is agape. She's like moving her hand and looking at it. Like takes off the goggles and puts them back on. It takes them off and throws them away from her. What is that? I don't, Iomade. The god? The goddess, yes. How long have you known about this? I don't know, like seven episodes? (laughs) (laughs) Seven episodes? That's like almost a whole season, Lanris. Well, Katara knew about it first and didn't say anything. Vic found out and didn't say anything. And then I found out, I think, yesterday, the day before. Hey, Lanra, uh, uh, Victor, Kintaro? Victor, you see Kintaro like shrill as she says that and he goes, uh-oh. Yeah, we're in trouble. She's already mad about the Algios. <laughs> Landers picks up the true scene goggles off the floor and puts them on and looks in the mirror and he's a little scaredy boy. <laughs> <laughs> you two come in. Hey, real quick, Kate, Lanris has just let me know that uh, you all been keeping secrets from me for weeks. 
How long have you known about this? We've been keeping secrets. I wanted to tell you. Landris is the one that made us not say anything. I think I tried to tell you. Is that right? And then she looks back at you, Landris. I'm gonna hide in plain sight. <laughs> <laughs> he made it sound like you guys knew and weren't telling anybody. Landris. You didn't tell me. Well, does anybody know what the heck this means? No, that's what... Or is that a secret, too? That's exactly what I was trying to tell you. I thought I was pretty clear with that. See? This is why I didn't want to tell you. Where are we Sorry, now? Sorry, I'm not sure. You keep so many secrets from me, I don't know when you keep secrets anymore. What secrets do I keep from you? That I have a god possessing me! That's one. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it, it's not that bad, Kentaro says. We've seen at least two other people possessed, and they were fine until we killed them. Until what? Nothing. So, uh, how was work? Landers just looks like bashful. We have something we might want to try. Oh, I see how this is now. She like throws her like coat onto the bed. You're not telling me because you had any sort of bout with conscience. I should have known better. My brother doesn't have those. You're telling me because you want something not from me. from you, from the goddess who's possessing you. Well, go ahead, spit it out. Show her the book, Kentaro. Show her the page. Yeah, get the, get the ritual book. This is great. This is exactly what we're trying to keep you from. Inside this book was a ritual that saved your brother. And we think there might be something in here that could save you or help you. She like takes the book and is looking at it. So your guys' solution, just I want to make sure I understand everyone correctly, to this spirit inside of me is to further allow it to be inside of me and take over me and talk through me. Am I correct in that? Just want to make sure I get this clear. I try to like edge myself over to Dahlia's side, put my hands on my hip like, yeah, guys. Is that what you intend? <laughs> yes. Yes, and Lanris <laughs> thinks it's a good idea because he loves you and thinks it'll help you. Isn't that right, Lanris? I do love my sister. So it'll help my brother. She looks at you. This'll help you. I have no idea if speaking to something that appears to be Iomade will help us at all. I mean, apparently, according to the book, we can trap it in a circle. I don't know if that'll help us. So now that you know this is anything like click, like do you have superpowers? Oh, do you have superpowers? Yes, I have the ability to beat my brother black and blue until he says uncle. Oh, let's see that. I'll be happy to display <laughs> it later. If I had powers, do you think I would be leaving my parents in the hospital right now? Hope in there. It, she's a very accomplished spellcaster. Both Landris and I have seen what she can do. And we think she'll be able to do this ritual. But if you don't want to, you can say no, and that'll be the end of it. I don't want to. And Kintaro, like, sighs. And she, like, pulled up the finger as if, like, I'm not finished talking. Stand in the way of you guys getting to the bottom of all this. And while I wish someone had told me sooner, and Kintar, you're not out of the trap here because there was a time you knew and didn't tell anybody. He knew before everybody. Victor. Two wrongs don't make a right. If I can help you, I will. Is there any sort of, like, challenges or, or, or you know, can this thing backfire and blow me up? No. If the book says the worst that'll happen, you'll just, just feel weak for a while. Oh, is that all? Well, Yeah. Yeah, just for you know, a little bit. Even if it works, we'll feel weak for a while. Just less so. What do we do? Well, we have to talk to Hope about it. It has very specific you know, hand gestures they need to do, and her hands have been trembling from her need to have a cigarette, so I think we should wait, maybe. Let me see those goggles again. Mm, I hand them to her. She looks in the mirror. Well, at least I'm pretty. Yeah, really pretty. Stop! Stop hitting on my ghost sister. <laughs> I'm not hitting on her. I've seen her in real life. Our- I mean, Katara's like, if it's a consolation, I thought I think you're pretty with or without the goggles. Mm. Well, let me know whatever you guys decide. She hands the goggles back to you. <laughs> I'm looking at her with what I think are big cat eyes, but I'm not a cat anymore, so I look like a stupid elf staring at her. <laughs> she like makes a frown face. You what? 
I'm sorry. Ugh, it's fine. I just want you to be safe. Don't do not, Lanris. <laughs> Lanris, do not do this. You're a man. You're an adult. What? An adult can't want to protect a sister? He can't cry and do this that you're about to do. I can cry whenever I want. Why is your lip trembling like that? You've proven that to be true. You guys know, back when we were... <laughs> back hey, when wait. I just joined college, right? So Landris mm. is the... And Tara's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she proceeds to tell maybe three or four stories that are very embarrassing of you until the point where you guys are like, okay, well, we have to go do a thing. Boy, he really... He was pretty old when he stopped wetting the bed. I know, right? <laughs> Mom and Dad made me promise not to tell anybody. Yeah, remember that time the hockey team mistaked you for a hockey stick, Dahlia? <laughs> okay, you listen here. So what? I've maybe I've been too thin. At least I've never been maybe too fat. And Katar's like, please tell me you have pictures. Oh, I sure do. And she pulls out her like a like a, a digital frame, right? It goes through it and shows pictures of you. And Kentaro falls on the ground laughing. I was 12. I didn't hit puberty yet. <laughs> yeah, well, he sure hit the fast food joint about twice a day. It's like teenage Landris dressing all edgy, <laughs> carrying around his bow to family gatherings while everyone looks at him like an idiot, <laughs> wearing his fingerless gloves. Hope's her coat on the table, and she's a roll of duct tape, and she's duct taping parts of the coat. Too big for you? Huh? Oh, no, I was just keeping busy. And as she like moves her arm away, you see, like, made of duct tape is a little r- rabbit. Oh, that's, does that mean something, or? That's what they called me, the white rabbit. Do you know why? I don't know, because my hair's white. That's kind of mean. Yeah, kind of. I think of all the things they did, probably the least mean. There's a, there's a shower over there if you want to use it. I think there's a shower cap you might want to use. Uh, hey, Lanners, a uh, Victor? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that box looks a little bit more empty than you thought it should be after two bowls. Uh, I go and I shake it. How many bowls did you have? Uh, where's that shower? Right over here? Okay, you have. I mean, this had to have been like four bowls. That's it's like, been a while since I last... I've taken shower. There's two more than I said. She goes take her shower. Dolly comes out, so am I losing more of my clothes? Kentaro would like that. He like elbows you. <laughs> Lanners panics. <laughs> she realized he stole her summer clothes <laughs> for Kentaro to wear. It's a sweaty undershirt. That's right. Bringing it back. <laughs> So time passes, she get, cleans up, gets dressed. She looks a little bit better. Those burn marks didn't come off. Well, while she's in the shower, actually, we should, like, write down questions we want to ask, because we, well, I'm good at spur-of-the-moment stuff, but I think there's some specific stuff we want to know. <laughs> what? What do you mean? I don't know. I got a golden tongue, silver tongue, whatever they call it. For when we talk to her. Well, yeah, but that just sounded like, you know, you were accusatory something. No, what? Never. Okay, we're all friends here. All right, everybody, I think we've lost sight of that. I just think when we talk to a goddess, we should be prepared to, uh, you know, not fumble around and be like, uh, uh, here's pictures of fat me when I was younger. So what do we want to know? What she's doing here. Why are you here? Okay, she's now uh, E.T. Why are you in my sister? Why can you leave my sister? How can we stop the end of the world? Ooh, that sounds like a good one. What's your favorite color? Ooh, ooh, ooh. How do we fix Victor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I give a thumbs up. What's, what's Bahamut got to do with all this and the other gods? The dead ones. Distant dragon, maybe she knows what it is. I guess we can ask her how all this happened. What? All what? The flooding, Kadesh. What's it matter? <sighs> Might be relevant. You think there's a cork at the bottom of the ocean somewhere where you can unplug and get it all back? No, but- I'm, so, I'm shooting down your ideas. I'm sorry. If we know what caused it, we might be able to know how to fix it. I think it's a fine idea, Victor. I go sit in a chair and mope. Look what you- go apologize to him, Lanners. I just- how much time do we have to talk to her? Like, is this forever? I don't know. It's not forever. I haven't right? read the book. What does the book say? It's as long as the 
caster can concentrate, so I guess it's up to Hope. We haven't actually talked to Hope yet about it. Who's going to do that? You don't want me to do it because I'm not good with words. Katara puts a finger on his nose. Oh, I do mine. What are you doing? You're the guy. It's you. I'm not participating in this game. It's not a game. It's the way we decide decisions. Katara's wearing a helmet, so his doesn't count. They took my ears, not my nose. (laughs) Vic, I think maybe it should be you. Me? Do you still have a crush on her? No, shut up. You're you're a big fat jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, what happens when Sarah sees your new girlfriend? She's not my girlfriend. (laughs) Gonna make her leave too? Oh. No, you don't say a thing to Sarah. About what? I never do. What what does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) We don't talk a lot. So the misunderstandings spiral out of control. And the final combat is my players versus themselves. (laughs) (sighs) I could try to talk to her, but... Just be ready to, you know, bail me out. Just click the button on the walkie-talkie. See? And the nose game doesn't matter now because we are adults. <laughs> Hope's out of the shower. You hear her messing around in the room for a little bit, obviously getting dressed and everything. Quick, now's your chance. She's getting dressed. <laughs> if I saw her naked, I would... Get, I, no, that wouldn't we work. We all saw her naked. Yeah, but she was covered in mud and dirt and all that. Did you see that memory of everyone cuddling up with her? She doesn't care. Except when I hug her. Well, I, I feel the same way when you hug me, to be honest. <laughs> I stopped and like, I pointed at him. I'm like, raise my eyebrows. <sighs> you could do this. You can do this. It's okay. Just a regular person. And then I lunge at Kentaro and hug him. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, while, while Vic leaves to do this very important thing, you two are wrestling as he's trying to get you away from him and you're just trying to hug him. <laughs> he's like, get away. No, no, no get away. And, he's, and you're like trying to put on the braid, the red shirt. And he's like, no, this doesn't fit. <laughs> <sighs> I start climbing the stairs. Okay, you get up the stairs. Make a climb check. I knock on the door. Uh, come in. You decent? Yes. Oh, okay. Psh, I was naked, I'd be decent. Huh? I open the door. <laughs> hey, you feel better? Yeah. And she's like uh, drying her hair with a towel. Good. You know, nice full stomach of all the algios. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for that, by the way. I wouldn't believe how much being hooked up to a memory machine would make you hungry. So, we have an idea. Okay. We We told you, you know... Ioma Day is Lambert's sister or possessing her or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have a book that has a ritual where we could speak to her, but we don't know any magic, like none, zero magic. And we need a spellcaster to, to do it. And as you're a spellcaster, we're kind of wondering if you, you could help us out. You want me to cast the ritual? Yeah. You know there's a difference between rituals and spells, right? Um, yeah. Not knowing. <laughs> I can try, but rituals are like notorious for being real crappy. Like, they're not nice. From what we could tell, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not an expert, but it only looks like we'll get exhausted if it fails. Well, yeah, I guess it's the least I can do. I mean, you could read over the ritual and, and, and see, but it's really like the only chance we got to find out how to make things yeah, better. Let me see the book. It's downstairs, but we can go look at it. She grabs her coat, puts it on, and goes downstairs with you. You don't have fur anymore. It'll fit fine. We won't have to cut it off this time. I, get away from me. They're here. They're here. They're here. Hey. Hey, guys. They're going to get married. I see. Yeah. So uh, she wants to help us out, guys, but uh, she wants to look at the ritual. Yes. Yes. Look look at it deeply, intently. Get very familiar with it. Uh, let us know if you don't want to do it. You don't feel comfortable. You know, it's okay if you don't. How do you guys get a book like this in your possession? This is for murderers and evil people who are willing to sacrifice others for what they want. Uh, Tar broke a window. I did some jumping jacks. And there it was. Amir. Sorry, Amir. I see. Does that clear it up? Uh, okay. Uh, this doesn't look too bad. This actually seems sort of like a not one of the harder ones. 
Well, at least not one of the more dangerous ones. Yeah, I, we, we thought you could do it. We, we've seen what you could do. Like how, like, how confident are you in this? Confident enough that if you continue to fight me on this, I'll probably have to cast Suggestion on you and make you not do it. And I don't want to do that. Friends don't cast Suggestion on friends. But bet it wouldn't even work. Mm, yeah, I'm getting real close to trying. <laughs> it's uh, arrogance. Don't ever cast magic at me. Landris. She, she waves her hand. You're going to allow me to cast magic on you. Make a DC 18 will save. <laughs> Wait, really? No. Landris, salt, stop insulting the person who's trying to help us out. I'm not insulting her. Don't threaten her. I'm just setting boundaries. <laughs> All right. Where you guys want to do this? Here in the kitchen? Uh, you tell us. Where does one conduct a seance? Well, there's no, like, sort of drawings or anything. And wherever Dolly is most comfortable. And Dolly sits down at the kitchen table. Hope goes over and sits on the opposite end of the table and goes, All right. And she opens a book and starts reading it. You guys sure about this? Last chance. Dolly kind of nods and goes, Can you, you can stop whenever you want, right? Oh yeah, it's much harder to keep than it is to stop. When this is happening, though, I pre- don't talk to me, don't do anything. I, I have to concentrate. As soon as I break concentration, the thing ends. Alright, and I don't know how long I can, I'll hold it as long as I can, okay? She begins reading words from the book. And she understands it. She's speaking that language that only that uh, so far you've only heard Dr. Blackard speak. And as she does this, she she makes special movements with her hands, but not a lot, surprisingly. And Dai's like, am I supposed to feel something? And then she stops, looks forward, and her eyes glow gold. And you hear her say, finally. Well, why are you and my sister? Because, because Koba, Koba died. died. I had, had to find a new body. But why my sister? Because, because the, the ring, ring has, has chosen, chosen you. Finally, we can speak. And she ignores you now, Landris, and looks at Victor. Victor. Yes. You do not have much time. Things are coming to a head. Hear me and believe. And Dias stands up. And you see Hope kind of clench her fists as her, her eyes are closed. She's obviously concentrating very hard. Victor, the next time you speak with your wife will be the last. There are only a few things that could happen. Either she will die and you will live. Or she will live and you will die or you will both perish. There is no circumstance where you both live. Cherish your final moments with her, for soon you will be called upon to fulfill your destiny. And she looks at you, Landers, and yours as well. What do we do? How do we stop whatever from happening? The path has already been laid out for you. You must follow it with all of your heart. I have done much to prepare for you. Why Why are you here in the other gods? Quetzalcoatl, Zonkathon, Serenray, why, why are you guys here? Your question reflects your status. We do not have much time to discuss. I will answer it shortly and abruptly. The gods draw their power from worship. There has been no one in this world for years and years. They have all but died off. I and the others you have named are but demigods. We have different rules. And with the return of people, we have brought ourselves back into the common parlance so that we might be recognized, so we might have power to affect change. Baphomet is trying to use it for evil, has twisted and manipulated my brothers and sisters in order to accomplish his goals, but I alone stand against him. Well, you you moved when Koba died, so Sarenrae and Zonkuthan, they just moved on to other people? Yes. Hope you see her, like, almost scratch the table. She's digging into it. All right, just, you laid out stuff for us, but what do we do? Like, we want to do it. Yeah, we're going to follow it to the best of our ability, but, like, what do we do? You do what all men hate to do most. You must sacrifice. How? Where? When? These answers will be revealed in time, and our time grows short. Who is our true enemy? Baphomet. He controls those which have harassed you these months. He who which has been harassing the city for years, and will culminate in its destruction. 
Who's Baphomet's avatar, chosen, whatever? It is the most powerful man in the city. It is Kyle Katar. How do we fix Victor? You have no time. There's no fixing me. We have I'm a sacrifice. What, what's the distant dragon? Distant dragon is that which you have strived for. That which your hearts have been set on but have forgotten. The distant dragon is your homeworld. And Hope starts, like, shaking almost. And she starts, like, going, <laughs> why, why is the world like this? What happened? There was no more time. I am a day, I, I do believe. For that, I will give you one last reward. That you might die knowing this. That your wife is with child. And at that moment, Dahlia collapses to the ground. Her eyes return to normal. And Hope breathes in sharply. <gasps> Dahlia, Dahlia, are you okay? <sighs> she kind of, like, holds her head. I just sit down in shock. I, like, pick up her cradle, Dahlia. Oh, letters. What happened? Are, are you okay? It hurts. It hurts a lot. It's okay. It's okay. You guys are fine. Just Dahlia and Hope are going to receive the drawbacks, the backlash. Hope kind of leans, uses her arm to prop herself up at the table. Did you guys get the answers you were looking for? I don't think I could do that again. Guess. At least we know for sure it's Kyle now. I'm going to, like, try, try to, like, lay Dahlia on the couch or sit her up on it. I'm okay. Go. Are you sure? Yeah. Go upstairs. Katara follows you. What about you, Victor? No. Is he alive? The white rabbit is alive. Excellent. Deliver this person to the following address. I will take care of it from there. Will we see you there? No. Deliver and walk away. We need more to go on than that. This was our agreement. You deliver him and you receive your reward. White Rabbit's been through a lot. I'm not gonna put them in through more on some text. I can't meet with you. Well, give me something more to go off of. Kentaro pushes you aside. He looks at you and goes, no more half measures. If we can't meet with you, then goodbye. Wait. Okay. I'll meet with you, the three of you, and only the three of you. Meet me with the White Rabbit in room 407 on the fourth floor of the Outer Banks Hotel. Come quickly, I can't stay here for long. They'll find me. I'll know if you're not alone. Oh, good cop, bad cop. I always imagine myself as the bad cop in those situations. <laughs> we have the White Rabbit. If we're threatening to run away with it, what is he going to do? Got our address. Let's get moving. They go down and they look at Vic. Vic, what's going on with you? I have not moved. I am just sitting down, just staring straight ahead. Vic, you okay? Yeah, I, I, I'm fine. I sit down next to Vic. I'm going to be a father. Landers, up. You make a be a really good dad, Vic. No, I won't. I won't be there. <sighs> what did he say? We're going to meet with him. We have an address. We have to go there, but we have to go there soon. Okay. I hope you okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Because the last guy who did a ritual for us died. What? Let me, uh... Let me go upstairs and just wash wash my face. So I'll be back. Yeah, I run to do that. Take about two minutes and then come back down. So is it out of me? Uh, Dahlia says no. She's she's still there. I don't think you have to worry about her. Well, I hope you got answers. We got something. We got to get moving. Hope we're taking you to Veeam. We procured what seems to be a face to face meeting, but can never know for sure. So we got to be on our guard. I can't promise if that guy touches me that I won't just murder him. We got your back. We're not gonna let anyone else take you. Okay, Dahlia, are you gonna be okay? Yeah. I think I'm going to go visit mom and dad. Sounds like a good idea. It's been a few days since I've seen them. Stay safe. Don't get yourself killed, okay? I mean it. I'll be pissed if you die. After that, find Sarah. Just stay with her. Okay. Just be with her. I'm supposed to see her again. I hug Dahlia. Mm, she hugs you back. The only person who's willing to hug Landers back. <laughs> All right, you guys head to the hotel? Uh, Yeah. Any particulars about like the area it's in i know he said it's like outer city it's near one of the um oceans one near one of the beaches okay uh, i'm just gonna be keeping in my eye out for like 
people waiting in ambush, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, wait, make a perception check. 45. It seems like normal traffic. So who do you think it is? We won't have to guess for long. Ding! You get to the right floor. You guys get to the door. You knock and it opens the door. It looks like the door was either left open. It actually kind of looks damaged. The building's old, though. Maybe it wasn't broken. Maybe it was broken a while ago. Maybe it was broken into. And it opens up and across the room for you is... It's like it's like those movies where the guy has a big chair and he turns around and he's like, "Welcome." It's a, but it's in front of a computer and it's not turning around and it's not usually going welcome. I, I do go in with my bow ready, not like an arrow drawn, but like I'm ready in case stuff goes down. Yeah, Kataro does have his gun drawn. I have my hammer drawn. Step into the room. The chair in front of you as you get to it is empty. There's no one in front of the computer. There's just the screen open where you see it's the opposite end of the beam the messages that he was sending and the door closes behind you and you look to see who closed the door you smell a a faint smell of uh, sort of that campfire smell almost and standing in front of the door in a pressed black suit with a skeleton stitched into his suit stands valerian got a hellhound next to him and he says hello it's been a while and then he catches sight of hope and he says hope my girl look what they did to my Beautiful girl. I'm going to put myself in between Baron and Hope. And Kentaro draws his vortex gun and points at him and says, You, what have you done with Veem? Baron says, Veem? Don't you mean VM? Really, Kentaro, I can see you haven't gotten any smarter since last we met. You still can't see what's right in front of you. Now I'm not here for you. Step away from my daughter. You're the one who did this. I can assure you everything that's happened to my daughter was not my intention. And Hope, just like her eyes, get wide with, like, fury. She said you took her to them. You gave her over to them. I did not know what they were going to do to her. Hope, I turned you over to them because I thought they were going to do the same thing to you they did to me. Ask questions. Gather intel. I didn't know. I didn't know they were going to do this to you. And Hope says... Do you even know what it is they did to me? Look at me. Look at what I've become. They've imprisoned me and were using me until I would come up dry and then they were going to discard me on the trash heap. Hope, uh, I'm sorry. If I knew, I wouldn't have let them take you. I I would have fought tooth and nail. I did fight. I I attacked them. I tried to get you back, but I couldn't. So I used the only people I knew that ever managed to get one over on them to get you out. And Kentaro sort of looks with recognition and says, You're the Rook, aren't you? Hope, it's true. Not only did he hire us to come save you, but we came across stuff that mentioned him attacking the place you were held in and going AWOL. Hope, I... I just tried to partner with the winning side. I just became a part of those in power instead of being ruled by them. I ended up losing, that's all. You, you were a soldier, you get it. Soldiers understand losing is part of the journey so long as their leader does not believe it to be the destination. They're trying to go home, Hope. I just wanted to make sure we went with them. And Hope says, wanting something does not give you the right to have it. You never understood that. Hope, you don't understand these people. They've lost themselves. Look at them. They forgot the sound of trees, the softness of the wind. They even forgot their own names. They let this world shape them into monsters. (laughs) That's rich coming from you. You have no idea what I've been through. You are so full of crap. Everything is everyone else's fault but yours. Just because something happened to you doesn't mean you aren't responsible for what you do after that. 
The same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. It's about what you're made of, not the circumstances. And the circumstances have proven you to be a monster. Hope. No, I've, I've struggled my whole life. And your mother, she helped me so much. She helped me keep the monster in check to, to, to not let it out. Her memory still does. Every day I, I struggle so hard to not let the monster out. Not let the monster out? You are the monster. People try to separate themselves as if the monster is something inside to be let out. That's cowardice, removing your mind from itself as if it's two different people. Helps people cope, but the gritty reality is that it ain't two people. It's just one person and what he's capable of and what he's responsible for. Did not the poet say, two souls, alas, are dwelling in my breast, and one is striving to forsake its brother? And did not another say, he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man? Well, sometimes the world doesn't need another hero. What it needs is a monster. What do you need right now, huh? Another law-abiding citizen? You've got those in droves. And where has that gotten you? Aren't the people you rail against the very same people who set the laws? The greatest crimes in the world are not committed by people breaking the rules, but by the people following them. It's people who follow orders that execute men and massacre villages. It's the people who follow orders that hook 20-year-old girls to machines and suck them dry. Hope you're not even one of these people. A quick look at them tells you that. At least I'm your blood. At least I'm from the same place. That gives me no solace. When the axe came in the woods, many of the trees said at least the handle's one of us. Hope we're in a race where no one comes in second. Did I do monstrous things to get the job done? Yes. If you want the rainbow, you've got to put up with the rain. Tell me, how many Valerians have you made, huh? Where do they fit in your scales of justification? I've only ever killed dead men. What does that even mean? Yeah, what what does that mean? It means if I was afraid of stepping on ants, I'd never move. These people are dead already. You speak of monsters. They've cultivated a world of monsters. Ones that are never at peace with themselves unless they are quarreling with others. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, they remove the organ and demand the function. They make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. They laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in their midst. They castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. They've made a world of hollow people. I've only smashed the husks of the ones that were going to be burned anyway. And Hope kind of like looks at him and ponders him for a moment. You know, I misjudged you. You're not some grand enemy. You're just a sad old man who doesn't have family. What did you want to happen? What am I supposed to stay here with you while we watch the world burn from the front row? These guys, and she points to you, are standing for something. Trying to stop the men whose agenda you helped further. Now you're just alone, with no side to take. Tell me, how are the fruits of your bounty? The only uh, traitor here I've, I see, Baron, is you. You constantly turn on the ones you say you're going to help. You even turned on your own family, your own daughter. I didn't... <clears throat> I didn't know what they were going to do. By the time they took her away, I couldn't get her back. I tried. I sacrificed everything. Speaking of traitor, I was a traitor to them to try to get you back. People who I've invested years of my life into. For you, Hope. That's what I'm saying. We we just can't trust you. Did I not help you? Hmm? How many times did VM give you money, give you intelligence, give you information, locations? Huh? How far would you have gotten without him, huh? Hope if it wasn't for me, you'd still be in there, stuck to that machine, and they wouldn't even know you were there. So what's your plan now, Baron? I just want to escape all this with my daughter. And Hope kind of like 
gives him a look of like bafflement. You are so completely out of touch. There's absolutely no way that's happening. Yeah, it's definitely not happening. And she kind of like pats her jacket until she finds the picture and pulls it out. Take a look at this picture. Half the people aren't even around anymore. And the rest of us don't look anything like when that picture. We had a chance to do what I came here to do, what my purpose was. The wish that you helped make. And it all turned when you whisked me away and handed me over to those monsters. And he kind of like looks at it and he, he doesn't have the words. Well, this was fun, Baron. I, uh, I hope we never see each other again. Come on, Hope. Let's get out of here. Lambert, Kentaro. Wait, that's it? We're, we're just going to leave? What are we supposed to do? Are we forgetting something? What's that? A promise you made to me? What do you want to do? You know what I want to do. Look at him. He's... Yeah, he's still there. You think he's going to stop? No, I don't think he's going to stop. The only reason he wants Hope is probably because he wants to use her for something. He just uses everyone. We were tools. Hope's a tool. Everything's just been a tool to him. Oh, Lanris still holding petty grudges? Petty. <laughs> What's the matter? I thought we were even. And he holds up his hand that's missing a finger. And it's still missing the finger. Except except I see you managed to find a way to replace yours. And he gestures to your cybernetic ear. You should be missing a lot more than that. You know what? Sure, maybe we might be even. But there's a lot of other people who aren't even with you, Baron. You know, they're not going to get the chance to get even. Not unless we do something. And Kentaro uh, says to him, You and your people crossed the line, Valerian. They went after his parents. Did they? So you lost someone close to you. I wonder how that feels. You lose people close to you because you sacrifice them. You use them for your own purposes and then you let them go and they're nothing to you. I'll let that one pass, Victor, since you only have a limited experience with me. But if you ever imply that I ever used my wife again, you will regret that. And he actually, he takes some step towards you guys. Vanish, are we really so different, you and I? Yes, very. And what is it you think that makes us so different? Because you're hungry for power. I just want contentment. <laughs> and have you found it yet, Lanris? Have you found it yet at the bottom of your bottles, pill, or glass? I'm still looking, but we changed the subject now, didn't we? So they got to your parents, huh? So you lost good old mom and dad. What did you think was going to happen when you came after this cabal? Well, they came after us first. It's been a pushback the whole time. Yes, yeah, always pushing back. You could have left well enough alone, but you just had to keep getting even, didn't you, Lanris? The truth is, Lanris, is that you're here because you wanted to feel like something you're not. A hero. Hmm? We're as close to heroes as Kadesh is ever going to get. Different world, different qualifications. You just failed to realize one very simple concept, Lanris, that he who fights by the sword dies by it. Hmm? How many fathers, right? How many sons, yeah? Have you cut, killed, murdered, butchered, innocent and guilty alike to send them straight to hell, just like me? And you stand there. You, judging me, stand there. Even if you don't fight by the sword, you get killed by it all the same. You talk like some civilian that does not understand the wicked way of our world. Well, this isn't your world. This is our world. Hmm. People like you, people like me, we're just... The cream that rises to the top. We've killed people. We do these things. Because we don't have that little twinge in the back of our brain that holds us back. Don't say we. Never say we. That's your problem, Lanris. That's that you can't see it. That you're so blind to it. The only thing that separates you from me is that the things I have done have hurt you, huh? How many fathers do you think would be pretty understanding of what you've done to their sons, hmm? You think that they're, oh, oh, they attacked you. They're part of the Gemini gang. Everything's fine. Hmm? Do you think that's how they feel? Oh, my son deserved it. 
Certainly didn't deserve any sort of mercy. Hmm? The only problem is because you hide behind this self-defense. See me as a murderer and you as a righteous vindicator of justice. I don't think I'm righteous and if any of those people have a problem, they can come to me and face it. At this point, Hope sort of interjects herself in between you two. Just enough to be physically in there. And she says, all right, listen, we all have beef with everyone else here. Let's let's start moving forward here. No, we all have beef with Baron. It's a one-way street. Do you even know what he did? She kind of looks at you, indicating no. Lanners like hesitates to say it. He broke into my sister's home, used magic to make us all compliant, maybe cut off and eat my own ear, in addition to burning my sister's life work to ashes. So yeah, we have beef. I'm glad I didn't have to tell you that before you took the stand on him being a monster, though. He kind of like looks around the room and grabs the chair that was on the computer, and he and it kind of brings it in front of you, and he sits down, and he, and he puts his hand behind his back, and he goes, Look familiar. I was in that chair for days as you and your people beat me to a pulp, and then you came up behind me, cut off my finger, demanded that I help you do it, and then put it in front of me so I could watch it and remember it. You should have died in that chair. Oh, how quickly your sense of justice leaves. I burned some papers and hurt you, and your response is want murder. Oh, how very even. This is before that, Baron. You still so easily overlook all the people you killed. I haven't forgotten them. And I'm sure if we're going to be worried about people's families who are upset that the rest of their family's dead, why don't we talk about that too? Oh, when I'm sure you care so much about how they feel, do not pretend this is anything but between you and I. You need to acknowledge that your anger is unjustified. What did you think was going to happen? You pull a knife. You surprise when someone pulls a gun. You cut off someone's finger and surprise when they cut off your ear. You beat them to a bloody pulp and you're surprised when they snap back. It's a circle. It goes round and round. And it never stops as long as the last person thinks he's better than the one in front of him. It would have stopped if I didn't let Vic let you go. Vic looks generally hurt by this. He goes over and he kind of puts his hand on the top of the dog's head. You think I don't care about those people? I've been that person in the club. That could have been me. That could have been my family. They were just out on a normal day. Partying at the club on a tram ride home from Red's concert. It's a little bit different than being part of Gemini Gang or Comet and getting killed. Not as much of a surprise there. Well, you're right, Vanris, about at least that one thing. I guess we aren't the same. I'm willing to do what needs to be done. If a tram full of people need to die, who were going to die anyway, then it needs to be done. The difference between you and me is I'm willing to pull the trigger. While you're willing to sit there and continue to be the victim. You keep saying that, that they're going to die anyway. Your city is destined for ashes. And what makes you think that? Because I've been working for the people who stand ready to light the fires. You strive against wind and time as if you guys could do anything against the people I've worked for. What progress have you made? Oh, you stopped the machine. It looks to me, though, like you both are still elves. And every day I see more and more of them walking around. I picked the winning side. I saw it ahead of time, and I jumped to it. According to the reports, we made a lot of progress, actually, in slowing down and stopping their operations. They keep having to go to Plan Bs, well, they only got so many Plan Bs. And Kentaro says, and if you didn't believe that, you wouldn't have been helping us. Hope goes over and, like, picks up the picture that Valerian dropped. What if there's a chance for us to make all of this right? People that are left alive in this picture, in this room right now. I don't know what need your ego has to justify your actions with Lanris and to prove whatever it is you're trying to prove. But if we can 
move beyond the you for five seconds. We need to hit the us. And she puts the paper down on like the desk that has the computer. If you're suggesting that we work together, screw you. She points at the computer. When you guys were working together, you made progress. I was here for one thing, and that was what the ring sent me here to do. And this is the best way of doing that. Now, I made a mistake along the way, which I forgot what my purpose was before I even made the wish, which was to stop my dad from hurting people. Now that I got that back focused on, you guys don't have to like each other. And Baron, you two don't have to agree with each other. We just have to point our guns in the same direction, which we're already doing. Lanris. <laughs> Snap my head over to him. We know who we have to stop. We need to we need to stop Calcaton, and I don't know how we're going to do that. I look over at Baron. Do you have a way of getting us to him? I burned that bridge when I tried to get my daughter back. I might be able to get us into one of the elevators, but it would require unsavory methods, which I do not think the majority of the group would approve. Well, what's your idea? Because you can just throw it out and then we can tone it down. <laughs> I like that a lot. Because usually the violence in your plans are grossly unnecessary. We know of one person that has to die. Kentaro um, puts a hand on your shoulder, Lanris. Almost like his eyebrows are weighted. And, and he looks at you and says, I want to be with you. I want to stop this. This conspiracy that has so entangled our lives. Baron wants to be with his daughter. She wants to do some wish that none of us ever made and isn't even involved with our world. Victor just wants to be with his wife and some god told him he can't have it. What do you want? That's a rough question. I want to stay in Kadesh with you and my family. I want my, I want my family back. And I want Baron to die. <laughs> I know it wasn't always a perfect place, but it was a home before all this. Then that's what we do. We fix this. We, we, we finish this. Whether it's the F word that you told me if I say again, you're going to punch me. Or whatever. We can't deny that somehow what everyone in here wants leads to that one thing. We have a God on our side. And Hope says, I'm helping them. We're stopping these men, this president that holds this whole city hostage. Baron, if you want to be with me, then that's where I'll be. Doing the right thing. Maybe you can figure out how to do that for once. Maybe you can, and then Landris, your communicator rings. Uh, does the caller ID say who it's from? Hannibal. <laughs> this is important. Everyone shut up. I step back and answer it. Do it. You said to call you when you could help. Consider this me calling in that favor. We have a problem at the station. Get here as quick as you can. And Landris, bring plenty of ammo. Trailblazers is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. Your players have been Christian and Tim, and Caleb has been your GM. 
This is Johan Martens. Thanks for listening.